You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Hello and welcome to Series 9, Episode 53 of Scottish Football Forums podcast. I'm good, John. I'm hosting tonight, um, mainly because F-Bomb pulled out the last minute, but Luckily, Chris is back. How are you, Chris? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good. Enjoying this lovely weather today. It's been excellent all day. It's been paddling pool weather us for the kids. Yeah. Anyway, not for me. <laughs> I'm not <from> one. <laughs> <laughs> we had the paddling pool out, but my boy didn't know what he'd gone at the day. Um, but he got his football training, so I, I was football coach today. But I've no got any kind of licence for it, so don't tell the SFA. <laughs> um, but we've got another special guest, um, delighted um, to introduce a man of many clubs as both um, player and manager, John Hughes. Welcome, John. Evening, gentlemen. All right. Fantastic day to day, as you say. Garden weather for me. I'm in the garden. It's a nice, nice day. Um, you'll have had a lot of practice in the garden, John. Yeah, usually I'm hitting golf balls, believe it or not, or chipping golf balls. Well, uh, as you say, there's a lot, you know, I've been out of work now for a number of years, so I've had plenty of time on my hands. I think you'll be pleased that the golf will be back up and running. Well, to be fair, I've not actually played. I'm a member down at Craig Law, down on the East Coast. My golfing partner, John Collins. Uh, but I've hurt my back. I hurt my back about five months ago. I've got a disc problem in my back and it seized up on me. So I've not actually played golf for about five months. So I've really, really missed it. Um, and now I'm no playing golf. I'm struggling for money because I'm taking his money every day. It's easy money. Easy money. Uh, but one thing is very, very competitive. I'll say that. So, and there's a good bunch of boys. So although I've been up with football, Trust me when I say this, it's been it's been like back in a dressing room because you turn up for the golf and there must be about a dozen of us all wanting a game of golf and we're all ducking and diving and all the banter going about um, and it's fantastic. It certainly is like a dressing room. Yeah. What about the um, the latest? Because obviously there's a vacancy in the in the Premiership. Um, your name's been linked with it probably a few times. Um, any rumour on that? It's one that will interest me, yeah. Um, I have to say, when I left Inverness, for the first couple of years, I was I promised the wife that I would take a year out, a year to two year, two year out. I was with, up in Inverness, um, the girls, my twins were 14, 15. Uh, the wife's parents, uh, they both were in a nursing home at that time. And I was up there yeah, enjoying my football, enjoying life. Uh, she never once asked me to come home, but that played a big part. And after Inverness, leaving Inverness to come back home, and I always remember something Jim McLean says, it stuck with me and it rung with me. When he was managing, he says his biggest regret was not seeing his kids grow up. So I was lucky and fortunate I could take two years off. Uh, so that was planned to see the kids grow up. Now they're 18, ready, ready to go, um, opinionated. Want to argue all the time, so I'm saying to myself, time to get back into football. 
Now, as you say, they say Johnston ones come up. There have been other ones that come up that, you know, you have to make sure it suits you. I had a bad experience at Rafe Rovers. I should have done my due diligence a little bit more, but I take full responsibility. You're the manager. You know, albeit it was only 14 games. Um, but you, that have, you have to do your due diligence. And St Johnston's a fantastic club, well-run club, uh, managed properly. And there's about four or five players already there that I've already worked with. So I've done my due diligence on St Johnston, put my naughty interest in. Uh, and still, I know we're in hard times. Nothing will be moving quick. So just sit tight and see what happens. Do you think it'll be a hard act to follow? I mean, oh, Tommy Wright's obviously a, a legend that St Johnson having won the Scottish Cup. It must be like following you at Inverness. Yeah, 100%. But uh, it doesn't phase me, really, because I really done that at Inverness as well. I went in after the back of Terry Butcher and put my own spin on it and got great success. So it doesn't phase me, but you have to acknowledge the wonderful job that Tommy's done. He's done a magnificent job. Uh, and it'll be, they warn you about that, watch what shoes that you try to step into. Um, you know, but it's, it's, a, it's a club, as I say, it's well run, always been a well run club, always punching above its weight and takes great delight in doing that. Great delight in doing that. And as I say, there's players up there like William Craig, Witherspoon, Booth, guys that I've worked with in the past. So it's not as if you don't know what you're walking into. And, I know the Scottish game like the back of my hand, so so that's one. And it's good. To, the thing about St Johnston, as I'm saying, a wonderful club, uh, well run. They've acknowledged my approach. Other teams, and I mentioned Dundee. You know, Dundee when that was coming up, uh, I was interested in that and put my note of interest in there through CV agents and even John Collins was trying to help me. I never even got a never even got a phone call or text message or an email back to say thanks, but no thanks. Uh, and I don't think you conduct your business that way, but that's football, that's football. So, you know, hopefully, as I say, the way it's making the going right at this moment in time, I've put in my note of interest, I've had a reply, nothing's happening too quick, and we'll just sit tight, fingers crossed. It's a funny time to be trying to get back into football, though, given all the uncertainty that's around the game at the moment because of the ongoing COVID-19 situation. Oh, Chris, it's, it's absolutely... I was I flicked over the telly there and I was doing it, the system, doing it at my daughter's in uh, Bayern Munich, Dortmund game was on. And you think, oh, here we go, a game of football. And although you're sitting watching it, it's not the same. It's no. just... it's like. It's like a training match. It's not the same. And, you know, there's just something missing with football supporters. And I think we're all missing football. You know, it's our, it's our drug. It was, you know, you work, most of the guys, they work all week and they get their fix on a Saturday. Um, and we're missing it. But we have to be careful. We have to do what's right. Um, you know, we're in that pandemic. We've had a lot, a lot of deaths. I've lost, a, you know, an auntie. Uh, and an uncle, uh, you know, so we have to do it right. And when the time's right, hopefully we'll get our football back. Yeah, we, think, we don't know when that's going to happen. Um, and the latest in the Scot in Scottish football just now is the reconstructions back on the table. Um, and I just proposed 14, 14, 14. 
Um, with the option of 14-14-16, if the clubs want Celtic Hearts to throw Rangers in it, I think I know where that's going to go. What's your thoughts on the um, current proposal? It's, it's actually quite... Um, I, I'm sort of looking at, I'm looking at the decision makers and all these people, and I'm sort of saying, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. You'll not get anything right for getting it wrong. That's for sure. You won't be popular. And I'm looking at... and I'm, in a, I'm a mixed bag, really, because... I want to see teams getting promoted because they deserve that. I don't want to see teams getting relegated. You just talked about Kelty and Brora. On the money that Kelty's put in to get promoted, you know, they should be promoted. And yet, I'm also at the stage where I don't want Hearts relegated, although I'm a Hibs supporter and I sincerely mean that because being a Hibs uh, player and a manager, there's nothing better than Edinburgh Derby. Uh, and I've got so many friends that are jambos. So many friends. I've got son-in-laws that are jambos. Uh, and that's the banter that we have. And I don't want hearts relegated. Uh, but when this was happening, I'm looking at it and I'm saying, who's come out here the worst? And you have to have the Partick Fissel. Partick Fissel, Strand Ra, have probably had the short end of the stick. And when that happened, and they passed it over to Ann Budge to try and get the reconstruction, at the time, I just felt you're going to get left holding the baby here, Ann, because everybody's looking out for themselves. And, you know, you'll be clutching at straws to get them to agree with you because it's self-interest. So that's my mixed bag. But what really sort of disappoints me is we've not really showed solidarity. I think as, a, as, as the 42 teams, it's been every man for herself. And I can understand that, but it would be nice if we could show a little bit of solidarity and stick together and do what's best for Scottish football, even if it means slicing up the pie a little bit, you know, and other teams are getting a cut of it. But it's every man for herself. And uh, I think hands, uh, hopefully Hearts can stay in the Premier League, but I very much doubt it. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, look definitely. like there's going to be much appetite for anything, to be honest. I'd like to say, but not, we could have done with a bit of solidarity across the 42 teams. We haven't had it. There's been every man for himself. And it's it's leading to very little being decided. Um, it took long enough just to get the the 1920 season ended uh, with the, the, the questions around the votes and stuff. But, um, I mean, it's not just about reconstruction. It's about the very survival of the game because, as we said earlier, the the fans make the game, but that's that's more true in Scotland than it is in places like Germany and England. They're talking about starting the, the the Premier League back up because we rely so much on the income from the the, the, the punters through the gate and not through the TV contracts like so many others do. So when the the, the, the teams in League One and League Two are saying, "Please don't start the league again," because if it's going to be behind closed doors, it's going to cost us a fortune. We won't survive it. Yeah, but what I, what. I... One thing about, you know, everybody knocks Scottish football. I think Scottish football is absolutely fantastic. I really do. I really enjoy it. Um, as I say, when you go to places like, you know, Parkhead, Ibrox, Tynecastle, Hibs, we need all our big clubs in the SPL. See when Rangers uh, were in that SPL, there were so, so much missed for the top flight of Scottish football. And I'll have to say this, Rangers are Celtic are the brand of Scottish football. Let's know everybody hangs on to the, the, their shirt tails. They're the brand of Scottish football. But also, 
what you say is Chris. You have to understand the importance of Stranra, what it does for the community of Stranra, because the people of Stranra that support support the local club, you know, they didn't get glamour, glamour, you know, Stranra got to make it in the SPL, but what they do is, it's easy to jump on a bus and go and watch your Celtic Rangers, but these guys go along and watch your local team, and as I say, it means so much more to them, or the same to them, as it does for any other guy like myself at Hibs. You know, you've got your passion for your club. Win, lose or draw, there's something in you. You know, you go along with your old man, your old man, your uncles are doing that. There's something in you that you say, that's my club. And um, that's what it means. That's what it means to the supporters. So hopefully everyone will come through this and everyone will survive and we've still got the 42, lead, 42 uh, teams. But... I'm all for Kelty. I'm all for the pyramid system. You know, all these teams sitting in there and there's no relegation. No, no, no. If there's relegation, that's it. That's what the pyramid system was put in place for. And I really feel for teams like Brora and Kelty that they're not getting that opportunity when other teams have been promoted, not getting that opportunity to go and play in the Football League. Yeah, I think that's the, the big thing is that We've got, it's all seems to be driven, from my opinion, is that it seems to be driven by the new Sky TV deal. Because what you've got is a situation where the 12 um, Premiership clubs don't want to then split the money to another two teams. And then as that money filters down in the lower leagues, your League 2 clubs don't want to split that money again again amongst another two teams. And, and I know Dave McKinnon, the um, Morton chief executive, made a proposal that why don't they play Kelty Brora in a one-off game and then the winner of that play Breakin in a one-off game, so you still get that scenario. But Neil Doncaster knocks in the head um, because the rest of the players have been scrapped. And I don't think that's fair, to be perfectly honest. I mean, they were, as you said earlier, they were damned whatever they did. But that's the thing that sticks a lot for me is that two teams that have spent a decent bit of money at their level to try and get promoted have been denied that opportunity. Well, that's, John, that's true. It's, it, there's no point in getting away from that. If you're putting Partick Thistle and you're putting um, Stranra relegating them, then you have to look at the scenario at Brecon, unfortunately. You know? And of all, I've got good friends up in Brecon and, and I don't want to see them. That happened to them as well. That's why I'm in a mixed bag. And I say, as I started off by saying that, you'll never get anything right for getting it wrong. That's the way football is. And, Neil Doncaster, the chairman, the chairman, I forget his name, the SPFL, they're getting it in the neck. But you try being the decision makers. But one thing Neil's done, he's been very clever, he's just like, ah, well, passed it over to the clubs and says, there you go, you just got on with it. And I can also understand, going back, just touching on it, clubs needed the money. And it was a case of, if you didn't vote now, you're not getting your money. And clubs were going to go to the business. They needed that money from the SPFL money to keep them afloat. And I can understand that. So, on that reason, you're probably not voting for the best of Scottish football. You're certainly voting for your own interests, for your club's own interests. And that's what I would do. If I went into a meeting, I'm not going into a meeting, going into a meeting for the best of Scottish football. I would like to think I am. I'm going into a meeting for the best of my club's interest. Uh, and that's probably been my argument over the years in Scottish football. I'm wanting everybody together in solidarity and going to meetings. So when we're having meetings out with this pandemic, 
to try and move Scottish football forward. I think it has to be an independent panel. It can't be chairman of football clubs that's gone in there with their interests. It has to be an independent panel. It's six good guys, got no self-interest in clubs, say, this is what's the best for Scottish football. And I think that's the way forward. Another thing, maybe rambling here, I've always been for summer football and I've always been, I've always been for a bigger SPL league. The reason for the SPL League, the money's no great in terms of the revenue that the links of the English Premier League get. You know, we're struggling for to promote our brand and get that kind of revenue in. But I think if you went with a bigger team, I think it would encourage teams to go with more youngsters because they feel that, listen, there's a real chance that we might stay up in this SPFL the B end and end all, and uh, two teams that have come up, they're worse than us. And I think managers, I think managers would go with more youngsters and give youngsters a chance and go down that route. I might be wrong, but I've got a sneaky feeling that just might be the follow if we went 14 team league. Yeah, I would, I would definitely go along with that. It definitely needs independent um, people on the the board. I mean. Um, we've been saying that for a long time in the podcast, um, on the podcast, and it's a good point you make about the, the youth because you know you've obviously been the managerial uh, position. You know, um when you're trying to keep Falkirk, I'm just using this example, trying to keep Falkirk in the Premier League in 2009, um, you're less inclined to put a player in at that point than if it was in a 16 team league and you're sitting ninth at a 16. At that point, you might be more inclined to put someone in then. That's it. That, that's what my point is. John, 100%. That's what my point is. Uh, and you used you used there, if you're higher up the league, you would put the kids in and save. I'm sort of touching on the same thing. No disrespect. If it's a bigger league and you're looking at two clubs and you're sitting saying to yourself, we're better in them. You know, so they, and you're actually saying to yourself, I fancy they two would be the ones to get relegated. Then I think that'll ease the pressure for you to go and play the kids. And they, they two clubs that will probably come out are probably looking at your club and saying the same. Listen, it'll be them that's getting relegated. I'm going with the kids. And that's sort of my mindset. But no matter what it is, if, uh, 14, team, uh, 12, kids is the, you have to get the kids in. Kids are the future at any football club. And when you've got them homegrown, that the fans can identify with, it comes through your academy, born and bred, i.e. Aberdeen or you know, Falkirk, when I was at Falkirk, and you get them in, and you're on a winner because these guys, what it means, knows what it means to the supporters. And nine times out of ten, being born and bred and local, what I touched on, they also support the club. And when you've got that, then if they make the grades, you've got something special, you know, you're getting in that first team and you can hang your hat on these guys. So, Chris, I was waiting on you coming in, but it's fine. I'll continue. That's <laughs> <laughs> always tends to happen. No, I, I fully agree. So, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll come on to your um, your playing career now. Um, so, going back to even before we came, um, before you joined Berwick, um, you were at Newton Green Star, I understand. Uh, you've done your research, John, eh? Yeah. Wiki's good, too. The only thing you've not done your research on is fashion. Because <laughs> of that, that shot. <laughs> this is a good summer weather one, mate. 
And that's where it all started for me, really. Um, I'll let you into a secret. Mm -hmm. I'm actually ask you a question. I bet you don't know my first full senior club. Berwick Rangers? No, it was our broof. Really? I no one knows that because actually when I was coming up through the juveniles, see they've all got football academies now. Great. I'm all for the football academies. When I played, we played in the juveniles. And the juveniles was a football league in Edinburgh where you're talking about your like your Hutch Vales, a Dyna Habs, Salve Boys Club, all these all well good run boys club. And the scouts, every game you played, the scouts could just come along and say, it was easy picking. And you're talking about guys like Marcel, John Robertson, David Bowman, Gary Mackay, Gordon Marshall, Paul Kane, Keith Wright. All these guys, and we all played against each other. John Robertson, and you'd play against him in the school in the morning, and then you would go and play in the same team with him for a dinner hips in the, in the afternoon. That, that was it. So the scouts come. Everybody's then coming to leave school. We all think we're going senior. We're all in training at different clubs. I'm in training at Hibs, thinking I'm going to go senior football. My dream, my ambition. And I never got the contract. And that was the first... I'm looking at the programme just coming on uh, with the mental health. That was the first time I had ever had that rejection. Uh, and all my mates, they made it worse, all my mates, Paul Kane, Keith Wright, John Robertson, all they got full-time contracts. And I was left, and my parents, it was painting and decorating in the, in the family. Uh, and I was lost. And my parents, my mum says, you're going into the painting and decorating. So I become a painting and decorator. Not very good. So if anybody wants me a job or anything like that, I went into the painting and decorating alongside my brother. But I kept playing football. But our growth then come in at that age and say, I'll tell you what, we'll sign you. And they signed three Two years, or no, three years from Hutchie Vale, Marcel, Brian Rendell, and another boy called Alec Davy, who's now a priest. And we went up to our roof, um, but I was first year painter and decorator, and I played with some wonderful players. In fact, I was out with them uh, Christmas there, just Christmas past. And you're talking about guys, first team guys, because you had to travel up to the training. Graham Shaw, David Young, Billy Gavine. Oh, these guys, great guys. And that's where I was going. Uh, and I was breaking, at that age, at 16, coming up for 17, I was breaking through into the first team. But I was working and I tried to get back and tried to get up to training. It was impossible. And I was, it started getting to the fact that I wasn't enjoying it as much. So I went to see the manager and I was grateful the manager let me go. So I went back to my boys club and played for Hunter Vale again up to I was 18. And then... Sorry, mate, a long story short. Then for Hutchivale on a Newton Green Star, which was magnificent. So it was 18 to about 22 at Newton Green Star. The manager was a boy called Laurie Dunn. Great manager, total football. And then what you're doing is all the ex-seniors that are coming down, you know, guys like Bobby Flavel, God rest him, um, a boy called Rab Gilgower, was at St. Johnston, all these guys. And that's where I learned my trade. That's when the juniors were juniors. And it was fantastic. The social life was great. And even now, you keep in touch with all these guys. You still keep in touch with them. And we were a good side. The only problem about the Green Star is they wore Ranger strips. 
You know, so put a name on every Saturday wasn't great, but it was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. And that's when I learnt my trade. And then when I got to the age of about 20, 21, you know, all that stupid stuff suit you. Uh, I really got into my fitness and really got back in, really saying, right, I'm going for it again. Because I knew playing the juniors, there was a few senior clubs coming to look at me. And that was the case. It was, um, and there was two clubs. It was East Fife, who was in the first division at the time, and Berwick Rangers. And I went to talk to East Fife. The manager of Berwick Rangers was a docker called Jimmy Thompson. My father was a docker. They were mates. And I don't know what it was. A gut feeling. I just had that gut feeling that Berwick Rangers was for me. And they were the bottom in the second division. I chose Berwick Rangers. Unfortunately, when I went there, I tore a calf muscle and I never played for Jimmy Thompson. He then got the sack, so I never got the opportunity to play for him. And then comes Jim Jeffries and Billy Brown. That's where the relationship starts. And we never got off on the, on the best day starts because I was injured. I wasn't, wasn't happy with the club sacking Jimmy Thompson. Uh, I says one or two things. Me and Jim Jeffries was looking to put me back to Newton Green Star. Eventually it settled down. I got myself back fit and then the rest is history. And that's why the two of us got on like a house on fire. Uh, and that's why he signed me, you know, he sold me to Swansea from Berwick Rangers and signed me back to Falkirk. And tried to sign me for Hearts. When they left Falkirk to go to Hearts, I was coming out of contract. And he said, do you fancy coming to Hearts? Which was a massive decision for me, <laughs> getting brought up, born and bred in Leaf. And I was lucky enough that at the same time, Celtic come in, Tommy Burns and Celtic come in. And that wasn't, it was, there was only one place I was going. The reason being, although I'm a big hips man, I was brought up as a Celtic supporter up to the age of 14 because, and then at the age of 14, I could get, I played on a Sunday and then I could always get to Parkhead. But then when you turned 14, you started playing on a Saturday. So I couldn't get to Parkhead and had to, and I started going up to Easter Road after the game. I played, if we played early, I could get up to Easter Road and catch that game. Then that was it. So I was in a between and amongst all my friends, all my cousins, and then that's where Hibs took over. Yes, it's not really changing your colours, just the shade. Um, the, I've just, um, I've just answered. Some... Hey, Chris, Chris, I've just answered all his questions. And he's asked one question, I've just answered well, them all in one sentence. I'll send it. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, just, um, just come back a wee bit to, we'll go back to your Falkirk days, because obviously that's when, no, for, well, for a lot of um, people, um, started to properly notice you because that was a good Falkirk side that won a couple of promotions, won the Challenge Cup, um, kept themselves in the Premier League a couple of times. Um, just talk, talk about the what was it like? First of all, being captain of that team as well. That was a fantastic team. It was great. It was uh, it was simple because they were all captains, and there was a lot. Of, I was just looking at that the other day. There. Someone had sent them my mates a photo photographer shoot. Falkirk, uh, and when he takes photos of the games, obviously he logs them. So what he's been doing, it's all action photos, what he's been doing, he's been on the Falkirk website, he's been putting the games up, and all the players, and the reaction, and he's been sending them to me, 
some of the players when I was manager we had at, at Falkirk but going back to Brockville being a player Brockville was magnificent it was falling actually falling apart Brockville <laughs> it was falling apart the yeah, tiles were off the wall it was a dump but do you want to know something it was one of the best places ever to play your football and that dressing room I was in at Falkirk it was the best spirit camaraderie characters in terms of banter I've ever been in that you could not turn your back for one minute guys like Ian McCall no manager of Partick McCall sat next to me always off on a Monday dentist dentist on it I see many teeth every week Monday so it must be Sunday night must have been his night out Brian Rice Davey Weir and there was a guy in there you'll know Big Joe McLaughlin Big Joe McLaughlin mm. Uh, come to Falkirk late on he was a captain of Chelsea Watford uh, I think Celtic were going to sign him when he was a younger younger boy and just listening to him and the way he conducted himself and experience playing in that centre half you were just saying yeah, that's about me Alex Taylor uh, ex-Dundee United Tommy McQueen and if you look at the signings like Jim Jeffrey made the recruitment every Tuesday after training him and Billy Brown would be down south looking at players and they sent Tommy McQueen who's left back for West Ham mm -hmm. Kevin McAllister Chelsea Joe McLaughlin Watford Simon Stainrod Morris Johnston so you just look at the recruitment and that's I think that's played a big part it served me right for when I went into management because the habit stuck with me and if you look at my players my management at Falkirk Casper Schmeichel, Tim Krul, Stokesy, all these guys. But that, fantastic. And even all the local guys, we're talking about guys like Sammy McGovern, Peter Harrison, Crawford Batty, Gary Smith went up to Aberdeen. Some real, real, real good players. And it was just a pleasure to go and play in that team. It really was. I enjoyed it. But saying that, John, I, come, but I went there as a centre-forward. That all started with Jim Jeffries thinking I was a centre-forward at Berwick Rangers. Because we couldn't win a game at Berwick Rangers and he put me centre-forward. And the day he done that, we went 22 games unbeaten. And we only played, we only jumped one place up, up the table. That's how poor we were. <laughs> but even at Berwick Rangers, I played with one of my heroes, is Ralph Callahan. Ralph used to be at the Hibs and doing there and just watching that. And the habits that these guys got, you know, the way Ralph played, Round the corner, follow his pass. Proper footballer. That's your education. That's who you're learning off. Um, so it was fantastic. But that dress room and the banter and Jim, the gaffer and bully. Uh, that's that's it. the gaffer's a manager. If you if you would describe, is a manager, and he's fantastic at bringing the right character to his football club, and he's ruthless. If, it's the wrong guy, and it's a, it's a bad apple, a bad apple in the barrel. And trust me, I've seen them. These guys don't last. They don't last a matter of days, weeks, finish. If he just gets an inkling that's a bad apple and he's going to upset that spirit, won't be there. It's all about character. And not just character for banter. Character is wanting to be a winner. Uh, and it was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I would give it all up now to go back and start again at 14. Loved it. Loved every minute of it. 
Yeah, he certainly had a, a terrific team spirit, and I think that was probably emphasised in a famous Bo Johnson video um, when you took the um, term winning streak. <laughs> <laughs> oh. You have done your research, eh? <laughs> <laughs> well, that always comes back to haunt me all the time. Um, I was actually talking about that the other week there, because what happened was, we were training, Morris was Johnston was on the halfway line right opposite the, the main stand. We were down in the far corner, stretching. And for some unknown reason, I says to the boys, a five or a man, I says, and I'll straight past them, and I all chipping in. So they all done it. And all I done is went past Morris Johnston. All I had done was my boots and my socks. And I just gave it to, you know, an old morning, Morris. And Morris just, he just doubled up. I can't, I wouldn't say it, tell you exactly what he shouted. Uh, I think But John, I thought nothing off it. Serious. I thought nothing off it. So I've come home and I forgot about it. And I think I said something to the missus. I said, oh, what a laugh we had today at, um, at Falkirk. Uh, so I'm sitting, I'm sitting eating my, my dinner at night. Next to the minute, the STV news comes on. And there it is. She just gave me one of my looks, you know, one of my looks if they say, geez, oh, you're off your head. Is that what goes on at a football club? But it was just all part and parcel of the fun. And as you say, Morris Johnston, Morris Johnston, um, what a guy he was, what a player, what a striker. I know you're going to ask me later on, you've asked me to pick my best team that I played with. I think it was played with all managed, but I'm hoping it's played because that's what I've done. And Morris Johnston's the centre forward. Jim Jeffries took him on loan for Hearts. I think he fell out with Tom and McLean. We two come in. Wow. What what a, what a trainer. Non-stop. Non-stop. Fittest at the club. Train all day. All day long. Left foot, right foot. Heading, goals, left. Fantastic. I think Chris has a different opinion than Morris Johnson, given that he supports. No, no. no I, 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 I fully appreciate how good a player Morris Johnson was. <laughs> we know what he did and all that thing. he jumped the board he jumped the divide and all that totally but once again somebody had to do it you know we couldn't have what was going on in Scottish football somebody had to do it but no for Celtic to Rangers and the way it got done and, um, yeah. and we gave Morris you just take him it was all planned out Morris Morris always knew at the end of his career he was going to America he had it all planned out and that's where he's been for the last what, 15 years, 20 years? Uh, fantastic guy. And he he was, he stayed in Edinburgh. So our car going to Falkirk in the morning was myself, a boy called Neil Oliver, that I actually played with down at Berwick Rangers. And he moved to Blackburn and Jim Jeffries signed him at Falkirk. So it was me, Ollie, John Clark, a boy called Billy McNeil, and Morris Johnston, that was a car in the morning um, and coming home, absolutely fantastic and the banter was funny uh, real, real real, good boys, big John Clark he was soft boy, big John Clark in football, we all come up, up across, uh, across these players, he was the best ball striker in a, a football I've ever seen he was magnificent striking a ball, the power the whip and the size he could get on it, all this stuff, they had it in his locker. What a ball striker he was. But that's gone back to the Falkirk days. Great memories. 
it's funny because I mean uh, I grew up out that way. So I mean, when I was at school around that time, so I had there was a few friends of mine, my Falkirk fans. It was always Simon Stainrod they talked about more than anybody else. It's funny. It's funny you say that because I've got Stan Stainrod doing Sam Simon was brilliant because when they all, when I was a player, that was my car going through one of the cars as well. It was Gordon Marshall, Simon Stainrod, we Billy McNeil was in that car as well. Uh, and Big Simon was some boy. Whoa, did Tino love himself? Absolutely <laughs> loved this skill. And he could back it up. The thing about it, he would say it and he could back it up. I used to say, Simon, no, you need to back it up. He loved, even his teammates, he loved putting maybe a bit in the press. And we were saying, Simon, calm down. No, I deal with it. That's what football's all about. You're talking about a player that Terry Venables uh, had at Queen's Park Rangers. I was going to sign for Barcelona. Simon was a great boy, great character, and top, top player. A real top, and a great lad. I used to call him, you know, Sergeant Garcia, uh, the old Zorro, old black and white Zorro, the wee fat yep. prison guard. <laughs> Sergeant Garcia, that's what I used to call him, because he always carried a little bit of weight. And me and him used to be, we used to do the shadow box and nothing about it. All the, all the bodies, all the boys would stand up or in the dress room and just body shorts and boom, boom. And he took it and, you know, you would block it and all that. So anything he says, he could handle as well. And he enjoyed life, enjoyed life. In fact, I lost touch with him for about 10 years. And through social media, somebody sent me a photo of him. And he's over in France, sitting there with a big uh, sombrero on, sitting there drinking a glass of wine. And I says, that's a Simon Stain but fantastic, absolutely great lad, great lad. Did he not score a goal from like his own half against St Johnston once? Like, you, you can't get that goal because it was never filmed in those days. Uh, it was, it was, John. What happened when St Johnston scored? It was after St Johnston scored and we were taking a kick-off. And it was, he touched it to him and he, he, he hit it for the halfway and right in the back of the net. And it was on the video, but Alec Totten was the manager. He said, Johnston, and he says, right, that's no going out. I never gave it. He said, no, we never followed it. But it was followed, but that's exactly what he done. And that was, he was a real precocious talent. But a great lad. One of these guys, you know one of these guys that he knows he's a real talented footballer. And should have, because he knows that, it didn't really work as hard as he should have, although he was a fantastic player. Uh, but bro, I knew it and loved it. And his banter was to die for, you know, all that. You know, gave it and he had the swagger and all that stuff. Oh, brilliant. I remember it because he, he says to me, come on, he says, come along with me. I'm going to buy a pair of trousers out of his designer shop. So I'm going along, you know, I'm like the paraffin lamp. I'm going along. So we're in this designer shop. And he, he buys these pair of trousers and he goes, what do you, he tries them on, what do you think? And I'm getting, oh, different class, brilliant. Well, they're like, the, the, you know, the German uniform where it's for the knee down, they're stuck to your, stuck to your leg and they just puff out up to the race. So he pays the money, a real lot of money. And as soon as he walked out of the shop, as soon as he got on my bag, walked out of the shop, I'm like, I'm getting them. He said, they're the worst pair of trousers I've ever seen in my life. Didn't bother him one Hook. He had them on the next time in training, doing it all that. He was his own man. He was his own man. And but it had me in stitches. He just 
done his thing, done his thing, and it was fantastic. And to have him in a dressing room, that character, personality, and even to captain him, you know, he would give you a hand, but you know he was a captain himself. You know, and all the guys, Big Crawford Batty and Peter Harrison, Silky was up at Aberdeen. All these guys, Sammy McGovern scoring goals. Um, yeah, it was a great time, a great time at Falkirk. Really, really enjoyed it. And I was ready for it because that four years that I'd done at Newton Grange, that, that, that got me ready for it. That was my apprenticeship. So although I come in it late, uh, I loved it. But as I say, I started off as centre-forward, went there. Jim Jeffries after Berwick, thought I was a centre-forward. Swansea signed me as a centre-forward. I never really hit it off down in Swansea as a centre-forward, although I really enjoyed it. And then Jim Jeffries brought me back to Falkirk as a centre-forward. But as the weeks went by, I started going back to centre-forward, back into midfield, and eventually back into centre-half. I could see the game in front of me. I says, this is my position. And then I just grew for there from there. And played with some good players. Peter Godfrey, uh, experienced player, big centre-half, Crawford Bapti, these guys, Gary Smith. And then you're getting more confident as the years go by and you're saying, right, this is a bit of me. Come on, bring it on. Anybody come on. You're fit. You're strong. You're starting to get confident. You've got a belief in yourself. You want to catch up for lost time and you're saying, come on, bring it on. So when you're playing against your Celtic and your Rangers and all that stuff, you're no phased. It's, it's no a case of trepidation, although you've got the nerves because the football does that to you. It's a, a case, for me, it was a case of, I've got something to prove for you. Bring it on. You'll know you, you might do a double step over, take me on, put it in the top corner. I'll be the first guy to see a different pass. But I'll be there for 90 minutes, giving you a bit of that constantly. Knowing, so you'll know you've been in a game. And I think that's what Jim Jeffries loved about it. In those days, you know, he would say, make sure he knows he's in a game. And he knew what he was going to get. And so as soon as he knew that, you'll do for me. That was it. Well, that, that late development that you had um, did get you um, a move to Celtic at the age of, was it 31, 32, I can't remember. Um, but it was for the 95, 96 season. No, was that a surprise to you? No, because uh, the rumour with Morris Johnston was in the dressing room at the time and his agent was Bill McMurtle. So uh, Bill was coming to a lot of the games and I got to know Bill. And Bill, I ended up going with Bill McMurtle was my agent as well. But Morris would come in and say, uh, I think Celtic's sniffing about you. I think Rangers were having a wee look as well at the time. I might be wrong, but I think Celtic. Uh, and there was a lot of clubs sniffing about and I was there for five years. Jim Jeffries had moved to Hearts. And what I sort of says that I was going to do was I was out of contract and I was going to stay at Falkirk. Uh, I was in negotiating with the chairman and with Bill McMurdo. And it's funny what happens. We come out while we're sitting in the car park at Falkirk. He says, what do you think of the deal? Bill McMurdo says, I think we can do this, do that. And his phone went, and it was Tommy Burns. And I heard Bill McMurdo saying, I'm, I'm, I'm with Yogi now. He says, I'll pass him on. Bill McMurdo, you know, put that. Tommy Burns. So I've took the phone. I'm hanging. This is a wind-up anchor. It's Morris Johnston winding me up. <laughs> he, says, he says, hello, Tommy Burns here. He says, I've been watching you for a while. All that stuff. I want you to come to Glasgow Celtic. How do you feel about it? And he says, piss off, Morris. I says, you take me piss. I says, I'm daft. He says, it's Tommy Burns. And I looked at Bill McMurdo and Bill McMurdo's coming. 
Tommy Burns, and then I'm saying, oh, 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 oh. I says, oh, I really apologise, Tommy. He says, oh, don't worry about that. He says, put the ball back on. Do you want to come to Glasgow Celtic? I says, when? I says, no. He started laughing. He says, put the ball back on. Paul McMurdo went back on the phone. And for that phone call, and another time, we were sitting in Paul McMurdo's house at, oh, where does Paul I forget where he stays, where he stayed, in his house. And I walked in, because you know they call Paul Agent Orange. Mm-hmm. And I walked in, and this is all my kid's life. It was decked out in Ranger stuff with a carpet and a crest and red, white and blue. And I'm like, oh, come on, Bo. And Bo, I said, what are you doing? And he thinks it's hysterical. I'm like, come on, Bo, you can't do that. He says, give me a minute, give me a minute. I says, Bo, don't mess this up, don't mess it, don't worry. Next day, knock on the door, in comes Tommy Burns, Billy Stark. How are you doing? They're laughing, they think this is so, so funny. And he gives him a cup of tea and two Rangers mugs. But Tommy Burns and the two of them are just great. And that was it. Ball went in, done the deal. And then he signed me with Tommy, signed me with Fergus Nolan. But, but on day in the deal, it was just verbal. I got to tell one person, I tell my wife, I'd say to her, tell my father. Uh, she went to my father, was in having a pint on tick. By the way, on the, on, on the slate, having a pint, she told them, <laughs> and he went, ah, every pint my lad is going to sing for Celtic. Tommy Burns then says, so he couldn't keep a secret, he says, come in on the Saturday to do your medical. I went in on the Saturday to do my medical. They were playing Newcastle. Rod Stewart was coming in to open the stand because the, mm. the, the stadium, he was coming in. I passed my medical. I was floating about. Standing at a loss, Paul McMurdo says, come on, come with me. He was the agent for bringing Rod Stewart. So we went to the airport, the jet come in, Rod Stewart come down. I see Big Yogi Hughes, just sent for, for Celtic. Rod Stewart says, listen, he says, he says, I wish you all the best. He says, you're the greatest club in the world. They jumped in the limo, went back to Parkhead. I got a lift back with a snapper that was taking the photos. Uh, watched the game. And then... Turned up on the Monday, signed the deal, and made my debut that night against Liverpool. Rushy, McManaman, Barnes, uh, Ruddock, all these guys. I think uh, Fowler played as well, and we we got yeah, a uh, it was a draw, goal, goalless draw. No, no tension, no trepidation, nothing, not a nerve in my body playing against Liverpool. Not a nerve in my body. I don't know why. I went out there. I had a big smile on my face. It was the last time my dad ever seen me play, who was a massive Celtic supporter, but he was in ill health. And Tommy Burns, he was just, I signed you for what you do at Falkirk, do that. And I can remember a period of the game where we were high up the park and there was all the grass in behind and McManaman went on one of their mazy runs. And eventually he's got to us, he's played a one-two and he's got to us and he's knocked it to go and he's, he's in all the grass and, and he's went to go around me and I've just clotheslined him, just clotheslined him, <laughs> took him out, took the yellow car and the place erupted. If they, and the fans have to say, well, we know what we're getting. And that was it. For that day onwards, uh, I worked with the best coach, football coach, uh, Tommy Burns was like Pep Guardiola. 
the, the education that I got for Celtic. And I went there at the age of 31. And it was like, wow. It was like an eye-opener, you're saying to yourself. I was coming back. Gordon Marshall was grateful because I played with Gordon at, at Falkirk and I travelled with him. He was then at Celtic. So I used to say to Big Marsh coming back in the car for the first month, I said, am I the only name the gaffer knows? Because it was constant. Yogi, 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 Yogi. And all he was doing was the standards that he expects you to get to to be a Celtic player. And it was constantly, every minute, uh, uh, on the training pitch. And I enjoyed every single minute. The thing about the difference of training wasn't too much difference for what we did at Falkirk, Billy Brown. The coaching was a little bit different in terms of patterns of play, getting in between the lines and all that stuff. But the intensity in which the players put into the training was, was an eye-opener. The way they went about their business, the intensity, the, the, speed, the speed in which you moved the ball, the speed in which you played, that took you, that took you away up with catch-up to. Once you got up to speed and you got it, then it was great. But it was hard going at the start. It was a really good time to come into Celtic as well because they'd obviously just won the Scottish Cup the, the May before. Um, and that, that was the season that I think they, had, like, they went on the run in the league where they only lost one all season and still didn't manage to win the, the trophy. It was probably the best that's Celtic right. team I saw that didn't win anything. That's right. Well, Chris, you still talk about that now about the, the style of football we play, but that was all coming from Tommy Burns. When he got in there, he was on a rebuild because although I come in, I took over for Big Mogga, Tony Mowbray, um, it was Decanio come in, Van Hoydonk um, had come in, Cadetti come in, Tom had come in. So we were really building a, a team to go and challenge that great Rangers team. As you see, we lost one game, they still won the league. So, you know, you're talking about Gorham, Goffrey, Koshti, Haitley, all these guys. Um, so that was it. And uh, the guy, and the winner he is, and the guy he is, you, you cannot sit back and rest on your laurels because it's always looking to turn it over. And although I come in and took over for Tony Mowbray, he sent big stubs that he take over for me. You know, and uh, I had a chance to leave Celtic to go many a club and I'm going, no, that's no for me, that's no for me. And then Hibs come in. You know, the club that I supported, Hibs come in, my local club. Always wanted to go and play for them. I was always rumoured to go and sing for them when I was at Falkirk. Alec Miller was at the manager at the time. And every close season, I was signing Yogi, signing Yogi. All my mates, all my cousins were supporters. So when that come in, Tommy Burns says, I think it's somebody's come in for you. I think one that you have to look at. Didn't they force my hand? And when he says hips, I just says, that's the one. Going back in the car, I says to Big Gordon Marshall, what do you think? And Big Mars just looked at me and started laughing because he knew I'd made my mind up. And then I went to Hibs. Hibs were in a great place at the time. Jockey Scott was a manager. He was magnificent. Real top manager, top coach. His training, his coaching was brilliant. Um, and I went in there and it was just unfortunate, you know, that, you know, Jockey got the sack. That's what happens when football managers come and go. Uh, but it was, I think it was four, four years, four great years playing there, uh, leaf born and bred, uh, I knew what it meant and I got a lot of it, I really enjoyed my time, I really enjoyed my time at Hibs, it's a wonderful club, a real wonderful club uh, and to go and captain them, it was an honour, my biggest disappointment Chris in football, I have to say that is, I've had a few 
as the, the the year we got relegated with Hibs. Uh, that absolutely ripped the heart out of me. Uh, I was really, you know, we're talking. I think it really affected me um, in terms of just stay away from me. You know, leave me alone. You're right. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. I really took. I really took it hard. But then the next again year, something happens. I don't know what it is. It's that trigger. You've still got that chance to put it right. To put that wrong right. And you're coming out with, I've got something to prove, which nine times out of ten is your fuel. I've got something to prove. And to take the team back up in the, in, in the Premier League, it was absolutely fantastic. It really was. And then again, you know, work with some great guys. Jim Duffy come there again. It didn't quite work with Jackie McNamara Sr. Good, good people. Good people. Gave it everything they've got. You know, and you sort of look back and you say to yourself, could I give them more? I'll give them more and that's what you do you reflect even when I was leaving you know I've never not all my time in football you know you can hear this if you wait to see the manager do you knock on his door I've never done that for the minute I went into football never knocked on a manager's door until I was at Hibs and Alec McLeish coming I was a captain in the club and I was a captain under Alec played a year under Alec and then the next again year uh, done on my pre-season he had re-signed me and then at the start of the season, uh, pre-season, you just feel the vibes, he wasn't going to go with me. And I says, listen, and I went to see him and he says, uh, I don't mind that's football, but you need, you, need, you need to tell me that. You need to, you know, I think I've earned the right being a captain of the club for you to tell me what your plans are. And we had a little bit of a fallout, a wee bit, a wee bit of a fallout. I just got on with it, kept my head down and then we made it up. Uh, got myself back in, made it up, uh, you know, and played that year out. Fantastic. Played with some wonderful players. V- great mates with Big Alec, the gaffer. Great mates. I love up to bits. But now what I'm trying to say is you, you look back and reflect and you say, what a clown. You, 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 you have a go at yourself. You think you walk about, you've got that big ego, you're damaged, your pride's damaged. You know, you just, you just need to do it. You look back and you say to yourself, no, nah, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have fell out with a, with a gaffer. Um, but he was brilliant about it, Alec. He was absolutely brilliant. He just laughed about it. And although I never would fell out with him, you know, he would come in and a wee bit banter and all that, see if I would bite and all that stuff, you know. But like any footballer, you do all your training, you come to the end of the week, all you want to do is you're desperate to play. And when you're playing for Hibs, the club that you're supporting, born, bred, all your cousins, all your mates are, Supporters, you know what it means. You're not getting that. You're not getting that game, and you're sitting on the bench. You're like, ah, well, this is killing me. And that's probably why it, it hit me even harder at Hibs when you're not getting that. Same as what I'm saying when we got relegated, it really hurts you because you care so much. Yeah, um, we interviewed Kevin Harper a few weeks ago um, and asked him. If he had any stories of it, yeah, but he wouldn't share, and um, that's just a footballer's um, <laughs> thing. But um, he does. I'm glad of that. Kevin, Kevin yeah. was some player. He was a young boy when I went there. Great guest we had uh, as well. Ah, uh, he had a great career because he ended up going to. Uh, I think he went to uh, Derby and was it Sheriff, yeah. one of the Sheffield clubs. Wait, I might be wrong, but he done no. well. Injury he caught Portsmouth. up with Kevin. That's right, Portsmouth and Derby. But injury, injuries caught up with Kevin, but it's great to see he's in uh, Albion Rovers. And although you don't, uh, you've never seen him for a number of years, you always pick up the wee bits and pieces. 
And in fact, I think he's assistant manager, Joe McLaughlin, the big centre half I was talking about. I think it was. Kevin's only just recently left. Is Joe just left? No, um, Kevin's just left Albion Rovers a couple of weeks after my podcast, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, there you go. That saddens me because, uh, you know, he was flying the flag for the black managers as well. Absolutely mm-hmm. fantastic. You know, it's an important, you know, that happens. We were all, you know, we're all in there and it's the best man for the job. And he was doing a good job. He was doing a good job. So I'm, I'm sorry to hear that because he was, he was, he was a good manager and he was a lovely, lovely lad, Kevin. A lovely, lovely lad. Yeah, he worked a miracle keeping them up, so it's a shame. He did ask a question. What did you learn football-wise from Hibs? Your playing days at us? My playing days at Hibs? But when the managers are played under Jockey Scott, Jim Duffy, uh, Alec McLeish, and the players that are played with, just, I've always been brought up watching Hibs, watching Cropleys and Stantons and all these guys. Go and watch. I think Hibs is similar to Celtic. The fans expect you to play football. And when I was there uh, playing, I expected there to go there and we play football. We played some great football. It helps, trust me. I've got my, it helps when you're playing with good players. That certainly helps playing football. And we played with some great players. Uh, uh, Chick Charlie, Chick's, he's, he's on the substitute bench for my best. Sorry, Chick, if you tune in, substitute. Chick was a fantastic player. Honestly, a great lad, great laugh, fantastic footballer. You know, had that wee shimmy and come back in that left foot was like a one. Uh, Frank Sozzi and Latape. And it was great just to play football with him. Uh, you know, even at that age, you know, you've done all the Celtic stuff, you're coming back, you're always learning. But you're at that age that you're now, the young kids are looking up to you. And I was a fitness freak. I was into that. I still am. I'm into the fitness, you know, into the gym and all that. And I had all my own routine. When I was there, I always say, if you're going to do an investment, invest in yourself because you always get it back. I mean, as a professional footballer, I had my own chiropractor once a month, paid for it out of my own pocket. I had my own masseur. I had my own sprint coach. So we were sprinting once a week, trying to get quicker, keep fit. I was getting my massage twice a week, really keeping on top of the game. And I would do all my gym work. And many a time I would be in that gym, working away, sweat pouring off me. And all the young boys, Derek Ryerton, Gary O'Connor, Ian uh, Murray, all these guys sitting looking, saying, wow, is that what it takes to be a top footballer? I couldn't have trapped the ball, control it, mind you, but I was built like a cat. <laughs> but that's what it was. And these guys, you're saying, come on, come on, get in here, come on. You're saying, get in, get into the circuit, get into the circuit, start building yourself up. And you're just giving them a little bit of advice, say, how to conduct yourself and what it takes. And that's what you're sort of trying to pass down, trying to pass down uh, to these young guys. And hopefully, and plus the banter as well, the banter that we had, we used to go in there, there was a wee boot room, it was the old Easter Road, mate. And there was a wee boot room, you know, and it was, what, 10 by 10. And you would walk past and the kids would be cleaning the boots. And you would just go and flick the light out and it was just a free-for-all. Next, a minute later, half a minute later, the lights would come on and everybody, they're hanging on to your neck, they're on to your leg. See, a couple of weeks after that, if you went in there and jumped in and flicked, the whole lot of them were in. And it was you that was taking the pacing. And you would come out and, and they were all like, come on. And 
you would speak to him and say, no, we all say he's right the next time. If he goes, we're all in. And before you know it, what you're doing is you're building up a real spirit and a camaraderie amongst the apprentices. They've got that spirit. And that was it. They stole my car as well and drove it away. And <laughs> all, the, the kids, all the kids. I was going up a house and my mate gave me an old Suzuki. Sorry, I was looking for a van. I was doing a house up. And my mate says, there's an old Suzuki. And I could put the back seats down so I could get all the plaster and all the working tools in there and all that. So that's what I used to scot a boot in. Uh, it was all bashed and, and the kids stole it. The kids stole it and took it away. I come at Easter Road and said, my car? And all. That, was, that was the banter and all that stuff. And I keep in touch with all the kids. The funny thing is, even now with social media, you know, right back from where I started, from Newton Green Star, and not just players that are playing with kids and all that stuff. How you doing, Gaffer? All that. It's great to see you. What are you up to? And all that stuff. And then all the photographs that were going on at Falkirk from my mate, he's put them on the Facebook. <laughs> he says he's been inundated with all the kids. When I was a player or manager at Falkirk, coming on, the best time in my life. Best, that was the best time in my life. What a laugh it was. And that's, what, that's the big thing in football. You have to laugh. Schumer, Schumer gets you anywhere. And the banter of dress room, a good winning dress room, I believe, has got plenty of humour in it. What would you say is your, um, your, your highlight of your playing career? Because you obviously had the, the Challenge you, Cup at Falkirk, you had a couple of promotions. You had a goal against the Angels at Ibrox, which is the last minute equally. Uh, well, that's, that's, that's probably it, Chris. No matter what, what, uh, what team you support as a kid, you always want to, you know, that in Scottish football, what you want to do is you're always looking at any player would want to go and play for the old firm to go and play for, for Celtic. I played in, I think it was six derby matches. I never won one. There's a few draws. I played in a few crackers. I played in a three all game. Mm. Once, I think it was at Ibrox, it was an absolutely outstanding game. Uh, but to score in it, and as I say, that was the year we were going for the league, so it was coming towards the end of the season, it was nip and tuck. And I think it was about, I don't really remember it too well, but it was St. Patrick's Day, it was 8 to 6 minutes, 33 seconds. We had a free kick and the ball got whipped in, and I just got ahead on it. I think they were all around about Pierre, and I just got ahead on it, going back away and got enough power in it to put it in the corner. And I don't know the celebrations. Actually, camera goes to uh, Paul McStay. Eventually, it comes to me. There was tears. The emotions. That's what it meant. The tears were absolutely piling through my face. And I can remember going back to the, the halfway line. We, we took the restart. And the game sort of... And Koisty said... Koisty gave my part and says, well done. Delighted for you. Then a minute later, I hit the... I think it was a minute later, I hit the crossbar and gave me that, you know, that stupid grin of his. You know, that look. And I just shoot my head. The two of us got there was always plenty of banter when you played against them and all that. You know, that wee smile and all that. Constantly winding you up if they say, you know, don't come near me, it's hate later, you should be getting stuck in all that stuff. But just great. And that was probably the highlight. And I have to say, one thing is, as well is, from the coaching point of view, it's totally different from, from football. Football, you look after yourself, you do all your own stuff, and it's quite a selfish, you can look after yourself. Management and coaching, you have to look after everyone, and you have to wear so many different hats, and all that. And then you go back to what you were talking about at Falkirk. 
my managerial career, my CV probably stands up with, probably right up there with anybody in Scottish football, probably right up there, probably out with anybody that's managed old firm because that's where, that's where you get success if you look at Lennon, or if you look at Celtic, you know, the trebles and all that stuff. But to work with so-called provincial clubs and done what I've done, you know, I've done I think it, I'm, I'm really proud of that. I really, really am proud of that. And Falker, if I look at Falker, when I went in there, even under Jim Jeffries, we were yo team. You know, Premier League, First Division, Premier League, First Division. I went in there, uh, we won, I went in there, we got the job with Owen Coyle because Ian McCall went to Dundee United. Ian McCall was a manager. And we were halfway through the season. And then the board says to me and Owen, who were still playing, can you take the job? He says, aye. So me and Owen says, well, we're still training. We need a coach. That's when we brought Brian Rice in. Brian Rice, Owen New York for Airdrie. And obviously I knew Chipper from Falkirk playing there. So Chipper come in. I mean, just business as usual. It was quite easy, actually, because we went. I think we only picked, I think it was about 14. That's all we used players. We never had many injuries. Coyle couldn't stop scoring goals, as Owen does. Scores goals constantly. I, I organised the back, kept it, and we won the league. And at the end of that year, Owen then went to Dundee United with Ian McCall, and I got offered the job at Falkirk, and that was it. But we never got promoted. And I think, John, if memory serves me correct, it was a criteria of not getting the stadium because we'd just come out of Brockville yeah. and I think memory I think it was Aberdeen it may no. have was it no? no it was, Aber- was Aberdeen in uh, 2000 because Aberdeen was supposed to be in a three-way playoff with Falkirk at that point and uh, Dunfermline but in 2003 it was Motherwell Motherwell who were in Motherwell. Well, well, stand corrected I do apologise right. I get it all the time <laughs> Motherwell Motherwell stayed in the Premier League and we took our medicine, and that was my first year as a coach. So my first year as a coach, we've not got a ground. We're ground sharing at Stenhouse Muir. Uh, no got an office. We're very nomadic. Jumpers for goalposts. And when I mean that, jumper for goalposts, we've got the goalposts on the transit van looking for somewhere to train. But that's part of your, your apprenticeship. You're saying, right, I need to get this right. You know, I need to get this right. But the hardest part of that is just getting the job. No going up to the Premier League and Ian McCall had built a right good squad. I never had the budget that Ian McCall had because the budget come down. I had to let a lot of the players go. I had to try to sort of say, I've not got nothing for you and still try to build my own team at, and do all this. So we're working outside the Porter Cabin, doing that. And that year at Stenhouse Smear, I think we finished third in the league. Stenhouse Smear. Uh, and I'm grateful because I could see progress. But the next again year, we were moving it in a new stadium. So the big stand, it had the one stand, the big stand at Falkirk, moving in there. We were now down at Little Kers, down at uh, the OBP, training in there. We had the base. Everything was moving forward. I could sign players. And then that's when I also really, I got, I got so, so lucky. And having come, on, come with Latapi, playing on that Hibs, Latapi then, was at Dundee United, left Rangers went to Dundee United, couldn't, didn't really settle. Was still in Glasgow, but retired. 
and I said, I've got to sign Russell Latape. I've got a good mate of mine, great mate of mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said, Russell, will you come and play for me? He says, I. He says, I think I've actually. I says, you'll enjoy it. Just help the kids out and all that. I says, uh, give me a couple of years. He stayed there for eight years. He come at age, I think he was 32, and I think he was still there at 40. Might be wrong about something like that. And he probably, we got him fit, and he probably enjoyed his football more at Falkirk, if you ask him, than anywhere. Because he just took the bull with the horns, got himself fit, and he was an absolute genius. I got asked this question, and off it, off a lot. Who's the best player you've ever played with? Russell Latipi. That trust me, I've seen that guy do stuff on a football pitch, training pitch. It you just go, how did he do that? Now, somebody will say to me, well, how can how can how has he never had the career he'd have? Russell Latipi was Russell Trinidad and Tobago, probably a wee bit like Simon Stainrod, had all the talent in the world. Probably felt that was enough. Then they do the other part and the discipline part, and uh, you know, it take them right to saying that he did play in the Porto team that played the great Sampdoria team, Bergamo, all these guys, uh, semi final in the European Cup. Sampdoria then went on. Who did they play? So, Russell Barcelona. was in mid- that was it. I they played Barcelona, Russell was in midfield with Emerson, that was the two midfielders. So, but Russell, absolutely brilliant. What he'd done for me, that was the success. What he'd done for me at Falkirk was unbelievable. He was too good for the Scottish First Division. And then we got lucky because I always remember you go to all these, you get invited along as a manager to all these seminars and all that, and league managers. And I went up to Glen Eagles once and um, Sir Alex Ferguson was doing a bit. Arsene Wenger got roped in. And you're in there and you're sort of listening. And I can always remember Alec Ferguson saying one thing. Always have goal scorers in your team. Always have goal scorers in your team. And that's something that stuck with me. And, same, and that's what I did. And my, goal, my, my strikers, when I went into coaching at Falkirk, my strikers right through my time at Falkirk was a boy called Andy Thompson, who's probably the best, striker in terms mm. of movement. That was Queen of the South, Andy Thompson, went down south. Yeah, did he not score a the final Bellingham as well? That was him. I, Andy Thompson, what a striker he was. He was one of these strikers that, see when it goes left foot, and the boys know left foot, so they run around it to get it back on them and give the defender a chance. No, it goes left foot, back of the net, goes right foot, back of the net, and all kinds of finishing. Very similar to Owen Coyle. His movement was unbelievable. He was brilliant and a great lad. And the other boy was Daryl Duffy. Daryl Duffy was rapid, quick, a real striker, really hungry. We got him through Rangers. To, they two were my... And we played a wee diamond with Latapia and behind him that no one could pick up. And all the tactics were getting into Russell. As soon as you got into Russell, Russell would turn and go at you. When they come back on himself, he would be at you. And then these guys would just move and he would just slot them in. And I can remember going doing pre-season. We went down Newcastle way. We were playing Blythe Spartans, Bullingham, all the A-teams. And, we were, and the first new, we'd done all our pre-season, the first game we played, you just see Nesri click. I looked at Chipper, Chipper just went like, ah, we're on to someone here. Absolutely outstanding. And then through the years, Andy Thompson, Daryl Duffy, Stokesy, Alan Gill, 
Michael Higgin, Pedro Matino, Stephen Lovell, Carol Finnegan, all strikers all the time, all through my team, always, always in my team, got goals in my team, goals in my team. And all the way back to up the Latapi until the end that he moved on. And, you know, but I still had, to, and it just shows you that was the quality. And Falkirk was great coaching, managing. As I say, they were a UU team when I went there, we took them five years, kept them in the Premier League five years, took them into Europe, won the Challenge Cup, two League Cup semi finals. The year Hibs won it, we beat Celtic. We beat Celtic in the quarter final, and Kilmarnock beat us. Kilmarnock beat us in the semi final, and Hibs beat Kilmarnock. Two League Cup semi-finals, numerous, I think it was six under Scotland, under 21, to Arfield, Scobie, all these guys, um, and Scottish Cup final. But to take them into Europe for the first time in the, in the history of Scottish Cup final, and even that Scottish Cup final, we absolutely popped Rangers off the park that day. We gave them a football lesson. We gave, you talk to the Rangers boys, boy, they Kenny Muller, and all that, they would say that, say, what a football lesson. But, so about winning football matches and they won the game, they're lifting the cup and celebrating. But as a coach and a manager and the way I want to see the game play, I'm actually sitting on the side and rubbing my hands. Saying because all the work you put on the training pits leading up to that, you're seeing it come to fruition. And you're taking great pride that the players that you're working with and educating are then implementing it on the pitch to beat to try and beat Rangers. Uh, it was unfortunate, but we were a better team, but once again, you're up against two sly foxes and Walter and McCoyster, and they just know how to get that Rangers team over the line. But we know the magnitude of it. It was a must, but a great day for Falkirk. Absolutely brilliant. And it saddens me now ever since I left. You know, it just, it just, it just went down and down and down. And I know it saddens me. It really hurts me. It really hurts me. And I just see it going down. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be playing its football in the Scottish First Division. But it is what it is. I think they made the wrong choice. When, when I left, they gave the job to Eddie May. He was never ready to be a manager. He was taking the kids, never ready. And I had a real strong dressing room. A real strong dressing room. Guys like Neil McCann and Jack McNamara and, as they say, Michael Hidden, Stevie Lovell, all these guys, a real good, strong dressing room. And I recommended that they give the job to Jackie McNamara and Neil McCann, but they saw fit to go the other way. Um, and it was sad to see them going that way. It really is, and even now, it hurts me. It really hurts me to see them where they are. Yeah, another controversial thing that Falkirk have done over the last few years um, was they moved... Um, to, they, had the, they had the base at Stirling and that got cut. Um, does it sadden you to see that sort of thing going on as well? Well, that, that come about with the most saddest thing that's ever happened to me in football. That oh, was the day to, to Craig Gillins. Craig Gillins, because I know the, 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 um, the parents, um, the, you know, we, we knew them when they were friends of ours, uh, John and Shula. Uh, so I knew the, the Gillins and um, that was the most tragic day. And someone even now, all these years, I think it's coming up for 13 years, I might be wrong, 13 years, all these years, Gone by, but you see, you see the number. I think it's thirty-four. Arfield wears at Rangers because mm-hmm. Arfield was a kid with him. That's in memory of Craig Gillins. That's the number that was 
Craig's number at, at the club. That's why Scott Arfield wears that on his back. Uh, and that was tragic that day. And after that event, then, um, you know, the BP and uh, health and uh, his safety says, right, this is no, this is no fit and proper for a professional football club to be in this. This they need to get work done. And then we moved on to Stirling University. Uh, but the thing about it is Falkirk and Stirling is two different. So there was a wee bit of Falkirk. Oh, what are you doing? But you're walking into a John. You're walking into a sports facility. You're walking. You're walking past, and you're walking past past Olympians, skiers, and tennis players, and um, Judy Murray's in there coaching tennis. The facility was absolutely out of this world. And Stirling embraced us so much. He actually says, "It's all yours." We had our groundsmen on the pitch. We were into everything. Every, so much so we built up. We built. I ended up building a fantastic building, and there was change room and offices and all that stuff. And then what that does to attract players, it's like you up at Aberdeen with a new training ground. You bring in yeah. players in, and you take, you take them around that training ground that impresses them. So and that's what it did, and it was fantastic. So. And we had a fantastic academy, something that we, I built up, I put it in, put all the teams in place, built it up. And to see all these guys coming through, even now, you know, uh, to see that going away. And I think it's all just down to money, finance. I think that's what it is, down to finance. What I think is, I'm not too sure, but what I'm guessing happened is, you know, the regional centres in terms of the academy centres that they put up. Mm-hmm. Well, there's one in Dunfermline, there's one in all the teams. So what, what, I think the SFA were paying for that for two or three years. But what they say is, is to Falkirk, right, you can put your team in there. And that, that academy's got a team. That's the other teams, East Stirling. It was all the teams through Stirling, Stirling Albion, East Stirling, Falkirk. That put, a, put a team in there. But what they've done is you put your best players in there and you scrap the academy. I don't think that I don't think that works. I'm against that. That's going elitism. That hits elite. If you look at myself, I come into the game, professional game at 22, so many great players. I walked into Livingston and there's a photograph on the wall and it's Dorans, Griffiths, um, Snodgrass. I think, I, think, um, there's, I think there's four or five of them, and you're saying to yourself, wow, look at look at all these players. All went on to play for their country. It's this elite. I don't buy into this elite. I think there's players coming off. They all make the grade at different ages. But that was it. But it was a wonderful academy. We really put a lot of work into it. A lot of work in it. It gave us great success. And the highlight of that academy, I'm rambling here again, is when we played the Scottish Cup final. We had five of the kids in the team. Three of them started. All come through the academy. Darren Barr, Scott Arfield, Cam Scobie, Darren Barr, captain the club. And two were on the bench. It was Mark Stewart and Chrissy Mitchell, or Jamie Bartlett. No, it was Chrissy Mitchell. So that was a five. And that, that tells you if you're getting them into the first team, that's your proof in the pudding. Uh, Dan Barr, good. Um, he comes from the same town that um, village that I, I grew up in, Middlesbrough. So I'm always pleased to see him um, doing well. I can tell you that. I could, I could, could have told you that. You know why? Mm-hmm. He used to come and train in every day and he, he, he thought it was fancy dress as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I wore this now. <laughs> Should I wore my done stuff? I would have got less abuse. 
So that that's basically that was sort of basically it, and that was it, and that was the sort of folk I've gone into the coaching. Uh, everything that I've picked up and uh, playing with all these for the Falkirk on the Celtic Hibs gone out, now gone out and coaching Falkirk uh, the trials and tribulations uh, learning your trade you know very uh, oh you have to even get players build an academy uh, motivate but one thing that never left me and I was always determined to do is I, I see the game and I'm a purist of football I don't know why, because I love to get stuck in, wear my hat on the sleeve and get stuck in. But if we're going to do it, then it all starts for the goalkeeper. Um, and even that Falkirk team that I had, we, we, we were a fantastic football team. And then I carry, I've carried that forward. So that philosophy and all my coaching makes it quite easy because it's all designed around retaining the ball, passing the ball, um, being a better team, I call it bulls and matadors. I want my players to be matadors, and no matter what position you're playing in, you need to be a footballer. You need to be a footballer. You need to be able to look after the ball. If you're a big centre half, you know you have to be your professional footballer. You have to have every tool in your bag. You have to be able to control it, pass it, move it. Some of us are more blessed than others, like Matapi and all that stuff. And it's putting it all together. It's intriguing putting it all together. Another part of it is intriguing is bringing that quality player to your club. Guys like what I mentioned, Smichaels and Tim Crews and Stokes and all these guys and Higgins and, you know, all these guys and putting it all together. But there's great satisfaction and pride when you see it coming together. And no one can knock it. See, when I say football, a purist and everybody says, all oh, that terminology is out there, double press, high press, double shadow and all that. Football's football. Don't complicate it. Football, football, as long as you educate them and the players know what they're doing and let them go and play, let them go express themselves. What you do as a coach and a manager is you're looking at, you're looking at all your preparation, all your work you've done on the coaching pitch because you've got that game on a Saturday. That's what you're preparing for. You're looking at that coming to fruition. And when it comes to fruition and you've won and you've given the team a bit of a spanking, your clowning, absolutely clowning, and the proof in the pudding is when you get success. And we've had success. I've had success at Falkirk, I've had success at Hibs, had success at Inverness. So it works. It certainly works. Yeah, um, and, and then you get you talk about being in cloud nine at Falkirk, and you, you then get the job um, at Hibs, being able to manage your boyhood team. That must have been um, great, and. The, in, in 2010, your team were involved in probably the best game of the decade, even at the start of the decade, the 6-6 game against uh, Malone. Um, what happened it set from 6 to onwards? That's a lot to ask. I know, I know. But that's part and parcel of football. You sort of look back at it. Now, at the time, the emotions were all over the place. But that's where your assistant manager comes in. Brian Rice was brilliant because I can remember Brian Rice pulling me right after the game. He says, listen, we've got someone out of the game. I says, oh, because it felt like a defeat. Mm-hmm. And he says, uh, watch what you're doing. Watch what you're doing because if we win next week, we get the European spot. And it was between us and Motherwell, it was nip and tuck. So you're actually sort of doing the press after the game, still trying to keep your players up for next game week. But the, the thing about it, you says at halftime, we were 4-1, Major scored before halftime. And then... I went in the dressing room and I was just calming the players down, let them get all that, all that nonsense out. 
calm them down and say, listen, four goals. Do it the first half. Go do it the first half. I says we can do it the second half. I says um, just go see him again. And for 25 minutes of the second half, we went four, five, six. And you're sitting there going, ah, that's it, that game over. And they scored six, three, and the whole game and the whole momentum changed. It changed. And we made a substitution. I think we put a, took a striker off. We put a midfielder on just to shore it up. But no, no, it just kept coming. And at the end of the day, you're probably looking at it and say, oh, six all. I, I see Craig Brood now and Archie Knox. And we just laugh at each other. It's just one of the football. Looking back, it was just great to be involved in, John. It really was. At the time, it felt like a defeat. But going into the game, we were about four or five games where we hadn't won it. And the first part of the season was magnificent. We were brilliant. That's why we were still in the, the hunt for that European spot. And the, uh, so we go there, and we were looking to go defensive. But the minute I went into Hibs, Oh, my coaching was attack, 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 score goals. The players that I had at my disposal, Benjaloo, Samama, Stokes, Riordan, Nishi, Liam Muller, John Rankin, Witherspoon, all attack-minded players. So don't try to turn them into something. That, and that was my style. So I said to Chipper leading up to him, what do you think? Then we should go there and show it up. Two just looked at each other and started laughing. No, we're going to have a go. And to be fair to the players, we had to go and score six goals. So there's positives and negatives, but great game to be involved in. Absolutely brilliant. Really enjoyed my time at Habs. And I got them fourth in Europe. And when I say that, that was with Celtic and Rangers in the team. Everybody's in the league. You know, so you're competing against them. Next again, week, we played Dundee United after that game, beat them 2 0, got the European spot. Job done. So it go eight games into the next season. Two of them were Maribor in the European Cup, who were miles better than us. Miles better than us. Maribor. They were, as, soon as, as soon as that game finished, I think, who was a big boy, a big left foot ball? I seen him on the telly. Oh, he played for them. Where Played for Atalanta. Remember Atalanta were on the telly just before, played in Europe. Is it Sibic? What was his name? He scored a couple of goals. The, the Italian team. They had a few. They were a good... So anyway, Maribor, two games against them, two of the games are against the old firm. So you lose your job eight games in. But no talking out of, out of school here. Rod Petrie was a difficult chairman. He's a difficult chairman. And the reason I say that, the foot going into too much. If you look at the man, managers, it's his club and he runs it his way. And um, that's it. That's Rod's club. And you have to understand that. But if you look at the managers before me, Right back away to Frank Soldier, a legend that had 69 days. He, learned, he got the manager's job. It lasted 69 days. John Collins, a year. Mixed with Pat Alignan, a year. Myself, a year. Colin Calderwood, a year. So Rod was a very, it's very, very hard. He runs the club his way and he's entitled to do that. But, you know, you want to sort of say to yourself, you know, in terms of, I want to recruit, I want to bring players in, I want to do that, I want to keep moving the club forward. And sometimes you're always locking horns, and that's the way it be. And with Sewers, the relationship fell down a little bit. Uh, and then there's only one winner, it's his club, you know. But it's one thing I just started, and it was sad, it really sad. And then what saddened me as well is 
born bred leafer, captain, all that stuff. I thought they had, the, the supporters might have been up in arms a little bit more. But they just sort of accepted it and that was it. And, uh, technology and um, all that stuff and what goes on in technology and how it's manipulated. Um, Roger Master at that, uh, an absolute master. You just go there and that was it. But I have to, I have to laugh because, as I say, it's Rod's club. But I have to laugh. It can be his club, but he's never got what I've got. It's, it has to be in your blood. It has to be in your blood, born and bred. And that, you can never take that away from me. So, so that was sad. And uh, I had a wee snippet again here when it come up because it was a new owner, American owner. I had a wee snippet out there, uh, put my name in and. Um, the conducted themselves fantastic, uh, acknowledged my my CV and all that, and just felt that they didn't want to go down the old manager path. Um, and that was it. And I, it was Graham Mafia actually phoned me. Um, it would have been a hard phone call because I said to him, that old manager got you fourth for Europe. You know, because, uh, and even that, I have to say this, that we're talking about that 6 all game, the Hibs team of last year scored 51 goals. Stokes, Riordan and Nish scored 52 goals between them. So that was it. But that was it. It hurt me. It really hurt me. And there was a lot of things said. Uh, it really hurt me. It, yeah. And it puts you in a bad place at times, to be fair. Because it meant so much to me. It put me in a bad place. But I've got a good family, good friends round about me. And I've got that kind of nature and personality. We go, oh well, you know, what does Nicole you makes you stronger? And I always use that as fuel. I always use that as fuel. The fuel is sure, I'll prove you wrong. I'll prove you wrong. I'll prove you made a mistake. And then I did, eventually I did. If you look at it, I moved about a bit. I went to Livingston with John Collins, which was great. He was my sport. He was basically, everyone that saw that's your mate. I never, he never done that. John's too professional for that. John took me into Livingston because of the football philosophy. He's a purist himself. And even now when we're talking football and we're doing the golf, everything's getting moved about. He comes in here, all that stuff. And it was a case, no money, get in there, coach your kids, coach them, get them. Uh, it was fantastic, loved it. And I probably should have stayed actually at Livingston knowing what I was uh, now what I went into at Hartlepool. Um, and saying that, nothing bad about Hartlepool. Hartlepool was absolutely fantastic. Hot bed of football, the supporters were great. I always wanted to try English football. I should have been a little bit more hesitant and picked the right time in the right club. But you think, you know, you think, oh, I'll do this. Because um, when I went in, it wasn't run great. It wasn't run great. And I'll tell you the story, everybody thinks you're going to professional football and it's all glamorous and all that stuff and all this and they get spoiled and all that stuff. But some of the top boys do. I'll tell you a story. Uh, I went in and they had some eight points out of 20 games, something like that. I went in, so we were fighting relegation as soon as I went in. The window was closed. We had a boy on loan called Charlie White. It's now at Sunderland, Big Charlie. And that's the only one that we, re we redone. So there was no players coming in. It was an aging team, I think about five or six, and I'm 35, 36. Uh, and I went in there, and if you look at the stats and uh, my, my stats and the percentages, 
if I'd been in there at the start of the season, we would have finished mid-table. And that was that's a big achievement. Although we got relegated, we were, the stats and the percentages say you would have finished. But once again, it's on the Rafe Rovers for you, the manager. You know, last man frees all. The buck stops for you. You have to take them. But it wasn't like that. It was it was the fans were absolutely... We've got manager in a month for that stuff. The fans were right behind me. We had it going. We were getting a right go. But I'll tell you the story. Everybody thinks it's glamorous. And this is... You think that our club's run great. Second last game, third last game, we were taking Strand, uh, Tranmere on. We were travelling to Tranmere. And the phone went on the bus and the wee kit man took it. And he went, aye. And I seen him putting the phone down, sort of looking over his shoulder. And then gone all sheepish. I says, who was that? Who was that? I don't know when. I says, who was that? It was the chief executive guy, the boy called, uh, I'll forget his name, I'll get it, come to me. And I says to my assistant manager, who was Mickey Barron, who was a legend at uh, Hartlepool. That's where I got lucky because when I went in, it was Mickey Barron and Richie Humphreys. They two were the coaches. Couldn't ask for two better guys. Absolute Jamie guys. Richie still played. He was a player coach. Two Jamie guys. I says to Mickey Barron, go and find out what that is. Mickey was sort of got in beside the, the kit man. And he come away and he started, he was pissing himself laughing. I said, Mickey, tell me. Mickey says, well, I says, what is it? He says, no, that's some just minded tell uh, the staff. Because we're doing it, going to, there's no pre-match meal for the staff. I says, you're joking. I says, no pre-match meal. And there's about five staff. They went, no, and Mickey's still laughing. I said, what are you laughing at, Mickey? He says, it's been like that since you've come in. I says, what? He says, we just didn't tell you because all think we're players. We all just play in anyway. That's what it was. That's what you were up. No pre-match meal for the staff. That's serious. But I didn't know about it until right before giving any statement to that phone call. So everybody thinks it's glamorous. So you're bed, boring, stealing, ducking, diving to try and get success. And then I, I sort of after that, um, you know, and also what happened to me was, I'll tell you what happened. We got relegated and I still had another year in my contract. I come up in the close season, I put my, my things in place, my plans in place. And I come up and then I got a phone call in the house. Hi, how are you doing? Hi. Um, after your two weeks holiday, we want you to come down back to the Hartlepool. I says, for what? I says, there'll be no one there. I think we're off for six weeks. There'll be no one there. He says, no, we want you to come down and we want you to register every morning. I says, to do what? Come down, register and do what? Uh, I say, I'll tell you what. I says, you don't have to pay me for I'll take my two weeks holidays. You don't have to pay me for the four weeks. Uh, I says, but I'm not coming back to, just to do that. Next again, they got a phone call, not for the chief executive. He let, he, he let the secretary do the hard work and the work. She had to make that. So that just maybe tell you, you know what? And when she was telling me, she says, listen, John, we'll have to relieve you of your duties. I'm sitting in the house. And it was, her name was Maureen. I'm saying, Maureen, let me ask you one question. Is he standing right next to you? She says, yes. <laughs> There you go, that's what you're up against. I just go, oh, come on. But great team, absolutely great team. Uh, great hotbed, great supporters. Really enjoyed my tail at uh, Hartlepool. And although we got relegated, I put that on my CV as a real success because of the win percentage. But once again, it ended up taking me somewhere else and ended up eventually up at, I suppose we're coming out to Inverness. Come on, Chris, 
Yeah, arguably the, the, the high point of your managerial career, because um, mm. you were in the job, what, about a month or so, and you'd already achieved a, 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 the first domestic final. Uh, well, well what, what, no, what happened was I went in and took over the Cherry Butcher. And to, when, when I went in there, I really done my due diligence on what was there, what was required. I had a wee contact up there. The boy up there was a boy called Scott Kelleher. He was a kid at me when I was at Celtic. He was the boot boy. So I knew, I knew bits and pieces. I could get plenty of information. And so I knew what I was going in. And so I was delighted to get the job. And I went in and after uh, Terry Butcher. Uh, Terry had a style where he wanted to play the game and other, other teams have, you know, get it there, don't mess about the back, get it forward. So my philosophy is passing, suck them out, get the other team and get all the grass to go and play in. So I just drip feeding my stuff in, drip feeding my stuff in. And then we, we, they were already in the semi final of the League Cup. And we played, it just so happened that we played Harps at Easter Road. Uh, and we're going well in the league, so I'm saying that it's no broken, don't fix it, but just getting it. And I was when I went in, I'd done my due diligence, and also all I needed to do was assess the players. I was delighted with what's there. I just recognised I probably need that sort of quarterback. And I had Greg Tanji. Greg Tanji had played at Inverness before, and I could always remember him, and then moved away. And I got lucky, and I, I sang Tanji eventually. And he was my quarterback that could get a start at greater ranges of passing. But I just drip fed my but I never let it tell him, just easy, 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 easy. And we got to that uh, semi final against Hearts at Easter Road, and we were beating us 1 0 with a minute to go. And we were doing to nine men. And uh, we scored, Nick Ross scored. And we took them into extra time, held them in injury time with nine men, and beat them on penalties. So that's taking us to the League Cup final. Absolutely different class. And the thing about it is uh, John beating the referee that day, phoned him the next day to apologise and send an offs because he felt he got uh, the two of them wrong. We got lucky you could, you could accept the apology because it didn't cost us. Uh, but it did in the long run. I wonder how well they think that if, if, if you'd been knocked uh, out, hadn't they? Uh, you're 100% correct, Chris. But what happened is it did cost us because the guy up there, Gary Warren, you, you would hang your hat on this guy. He was a stalwart. He'd give you everything. He was fantastic in the dressing room. He was one of the players that got sent off. So he missed the League Cup final. And then even the next game year when we got the Scottish Cup final, he's bookings. He missed the Scottish Cup final. And if anybody deserved to play in a Cup final for what he gave me as a player, it was him. So you did that wee bit. But that, to take them in the League Cup final uh, and play Aberdeen, John's Aberdeen, at Park Creed, it was absolutely fantastic. And I was, I have to say, driving into Park Creed that day, seeing, we were right up against it because we never seen any, we never seen Inverness. It was the Aberdeen supporters mm-hmm. were all over the place. They were out in mass and I didn't recognise or realise that what it really meant to them. And they were out in mess. It wasn't a great cup final. We had a chance. What a dreadful turn, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't a great. It wasn't, it wasn't a great. No. But went to penalties and never did win it. But what I think, and oh, 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 uh, good luck to them, you know. Um, but what it did do, I think it saved us in good stead for the next again year. And then at the end of that season, I think we finished, I think we finished fifth, something like that, that season. And then I says to the boys, but then I had got, got oh man, I says to the boys, I knew what I was wanting. 
I says to the boys, I'm going to do something with you. I says, well, we're, I'm writing into the body fats and the, the body weight. I think the body weight matches the body fat. What, what I'm on, they're 10%. That tells me you're living your life and your diet's good and all that stuff. So I put all that in place and I say to them all, go away, enjoy your close season, make sure you rest up. Everybody come in and your body weight. I say, if you do that, it'll be the best pre-season you ever had. And to be fair, every one of them to a man, every one of them come back, bang on body weight, even under fit. And if you ask any professional footballer, morning, afternoon, sand dunes, hills, well, we never done one afternoon session. We've done all our work, all our ball work. A lot of the running was all specific with the ball, all that stuff, but all ball work, coaching, 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 coaching. And all we did, because one of the secrets at Inverness is you're at Inverness, you stay at Inverness. You're not finishing training and the car's going back to Glasgow and the car's going back to Edinburgh or away up to Dundee. Everybody's in Inverness, so there's a real togetherness. And it was great. You're out there, you get left, you do your work. Um, and that was his secret. So we trained him, and the only time we done in the afternoon after training, we took on all the Highland League teams. We played at night all the Highland League teams, two games and two games a week. But the players could go home, train in the morning, go home, get their lunch, sleep, have a rest, come back, play at night. Next again, day we were done, and that was his secret. The last pre-season game, we went down to play Birmingham. Um, Lee Clark and uh, Alan Thompson were, were the staff, they were the manager. And we went to there. We, Christie, had just started to break through. Ryan Christie, he was starting. We went to there. He beat us 2 0, but we were very, very good. I was delighted. We were really giving a right good, uh, uh, right good game. The wee boy Gleason went up to Aberdeen, John. Never got a game with mm -hmm. Gleason. Yeah, it didn't really work out for him. But he was a footballer when I was doing it at Hartlepool. He was a footballer at NK Dons that were renowned for real good football. And they were a good football side. Mm -hmm. But when he was at Aberdeen, and then Shinny and Tanji and all that, and Ryan went to Aberdeen, they talked about that Inverness team because all of them were at Inverness. And, it's, and even Gleeson was saying to them, Jesus Christ, he says, we thought, oh, here come the farmers. They're way up in Inverness. And he says, well, after the game, obviously they won 2-0. But we're like, ah, what the football lesson that was? And we knew right after the game, Clark is into me. He's wanting me, Lee Clark. Christy, Christy, who is it? Much do you want? And they've tried to sign him right after the game. And that was him just breaking on the scene. Now he's just a young kid breaking through. And we're coming back in the airport. All the directors were down in there on the jolly up. So there's a bit But the chairman, Kenny Cameron's with, with the players. And his face is tricking them. And I'm in there, I'm winding them up and saying, come on, get, uh, Chairman, what's the matter with you? He says, oh, they, the, the directors. And I said, what's the matter with you? Oh, they're all full of the, full of the drink. And saying, oh, you'll never win anything, never win anything with this tippy-tappy football stuff. Third, third in the SPL, Europe for the first time in the history, Scottish Cup winners. What do they know, eh? <laughs> And that was it. And, and as soon as we'd done that, uh, the players I was working with, guys like Shinny, you know him. And yeah. that Shinny played left back for me. He played more midfield for Derek. He played left back for me. Uh, Christy, Tanji, although Tanji never hit, hit off up at Aberdeen. Uh, Big Draper, footballer, Marley Watkins, pace up front. Uh, and the boys just the boys just kept saying like that. Ah. 
give me everything you've got, everything you've got, Gaffer, because you're training and what we've done is stimulating them, educating them on the game. This is what will happen. Trust me, this is what will happen. Showing them, educating them, video analysis. Uh, it was brilliant. And to put all that work in there and get the, to get out of it what we did, Scottish Cup winners, uh, there's, there's a story there. There certainly is a story. First, as I say, you know, uh, and once again, a provincial club probably working with their smallest budget in the SPL, but the mentality and the siege mentality. I tell John Collins this because he was at Celtic at the time, assistant manager, and John Collins didn't believe me. You know, we used to, it was near overnight stays, going down on the Friday, staying in a hotel, and couldn't afford it. We used to leave Inverness at half past eight, nine o'clock in the morning. They used to say it was going down south, where that's going down, wherever it is, Tynecastle, wherever it is, going down south. All the boys would be sleeping in the aisles, you know, the seats on the floor in their sleeping bags, on the, on the seats sleeping all the way back down, down stop for our, our pre-match meal, go and, play for, go and play the game and come back up. I was, as a coach and a manager, I'm saying, see what we have today, see the sacrifices. All oh, them are all tucked up, in the, tucked up in their hotel, in their bed. Look at us. The boys are like, oh, come on, bring it on, bring it on. <laughs> and that's just reverse psychology. What you have to do as a manager, that's just another hat you have to put on. But it was fantastic. I had a great time up there. Really, really enjoyed myself. Good people, good chairman. Uh, and I'm a mad cyclist. So I stayed in the Black Isle, which was about 15, 20 miles away. So I used to cycle in the morning, cycle home at night, cycle home. So I was as fit as a fiddle. And every time I was going out, because I always sort of had to hide my bike, you know what football players are like, I would end up going for a bike and there was no tyres or no wheels on it. So I'd always lock it away and put it away. Every time at night, putting my cycling gear on, walking out in the chairman's office, was you just got to go out the front. The chairman was just... John, John, Yogi, Yogi, I need to see you. I used to just take my bike in his office. Oh, I used to, what are you doing? What are you doing? Leave your bike inside. And I used to annoy, I used to annoy the life of Leave your bike. I used to take my bike in his office and stand there. Oh, I see the laugh. And the boy Scott Keller had a boy I mentioned, a young boy. He was a youth coach up with there. He took the kids. And Duncan Shearer was with the first team. And I went and watched one of his coaching sessions and it was different class. It was, I just went, wow, it was an eye-opener. I went, yeah. And I swapped him about. I'm dunking then where to take the kids and I brought young Kelleher with me. Uh, and because also, that's what you have to, that's what you have to see as a manager. We all look at players, but there's some in your staff that you have to recognise. He's exactly what I need. And Scott Kelleher is what I needed because the other reason was he brought Shinny and Christie and Nick Ross and all these up through the academy. So they all knew him really, really well. And the rapport that he had with them, he could go in the dressing room and cause havoc and come back out and I would be up in arms and laughing and joking about a right good coach. And that's what, so I've done that. So you have to recognise as well, the, you delegate, but you have to recognise in terms of promoting, not just players you promote, it's staff as well. Right, even Ross Wilson, the director of football at uh, Rangers right now. It was me that gave Ross Wilson the start. I gave him a job at Falkirk and built him up, taught him that. 
and look what he does now. So you have to recognise that and people were good, not just at the football, but other parts of the parts of the job. I speak to the boy Kelleher, uh well, in fact, I don't speak to him because he never answers his phone. So it's always a wee text around now and never answers answer his phone. So if he tunes into this, I'm having a right go to him at answer your phone, Kells. Um <laughs> but and I sp- every now and then, and the two of us agree, that time up at Inverness, we've never laughed so much. Never laughed so much. Uh, and then Russell was with us. Russell come in, was with us, played a massive part in that. Russell wasn't great in terms of coaching, but you, nobody would beat him on how the game went. See, when he was watching the game, he would just come up and say, you need to do this, you need to do that. And he would be right. Every time he would be spot on. You need to change it, you need to do this, you need to do that. He would sit and watch it, study the game, and he was brilliant. Just the information he would put in your ear, it was he could know the game like the back of his hand. And that was it. And the laughs that we used to have, the laughs, uh, it was brilliant. I look back, I, really, I miss it, I miss it, I do. But as I say, right at the start of the programme, you know, there was a lot of reasons. And then all the players were leaving. You're sort of saying to yourself, if I took this as far as I could, the budget had changed, and then right at the end, um, I wanted to shuffle the team about a little bit. And Richie Foran, who was fantastic, because here in the dressing room, he was a captain, but he was injured for my whole time there with a knee problem. Um, I sort of says to, I needed the budget, I needed that money for a player that was going to play. And I sort of says to the chairman, you know, we need to have to let Richie go hoping that he was going to go on the coaching staff. Uh, we could see that. And the other one was uh, David Raven, who scored the goal against Celtic in the semi-final, mm-hmm. who was a fantastic professional, great lad. But my plans, because the budget was tight, my plans, I was going to send Peter Hartley, centre-half at Murrowell. Mm-hmm. He was my captain down at Hartlepool. And I was going to put Meekins, I'm telling you, Meekins was a flying machine. I was going to put him right back and I saw I had a more natural left and right centre half that would have been Warren and Hartley because I think that if you're a righty, right centre half playing left, if it's me, I'm like a fish out of water. Trust me. It's, like, it's because if I'm playing right centre half, you're hitting those passes, you're hitting those reverse passes, you're whipping them in. And I think that's a big part of it. All your top teams have got a left and a righty. Uh, and that was my plan then. They, they didn't fancy that and the board of directors said no we want to re- we want to, the club to re-sign it and you're sort of saying well it's me it picks the team it's my expertise you need to trust me every every decision's no the easiest decision but if it's the best decision for the club then you make it and that's why I made it and so I just felt that time's up and as I said at the start of the programme with the wife back here looking after the kids and the family I just went it's a good time to leave. But that was the next again year. And that was a real hard year because it was probably a good successful year because start of the season, Gary Warren, first game of the season, that Gary Warren broke his leg. Josh Meekins never played because of his knee. Uh, Aaron Dorans never played because of his knee. We were right up against it. Richard Foran was uh, injured. We were right up against it. And I think we dug out a seventh. And it was always going to be hard after the players that left, the injuries, and the season that we had before, it was always going to be hard, but brilliant, great times, great place to stay, absolutely out of this world. And all the time I was up there, 
you know, I, I was never, I'm not a drinker. I was never out in Inverness, never passed. It was in, out, cycle, home, football, 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 football. It was absolutely a manager's dream. Fantastic. What was it like being uh, named manager year by your fellow uh, managers? Well, that's what I'm saying. That's when I, I've sort of touched on that in terms of, I could talk about it, I talk about the football because, you know, you get knockers, but the proof's in the pudding in terms of what I've done and what I've won. I think I had three teams into Europe, two for the first time in their history, and three cup finals, two Scottish cup finals, league cup finals, semi-finals, but winning the Scottish cup. Uh, and then you get rewarded. There's nothing to do with me, really. It's the players that done it. It's the players I just go up. I'm a recipient of it. You know, I go up and take it. Um, but it's the players that done it. They done it for me. It was them, so it's theirs. But I, I get the award. And it's great. It's a great achievement. I suppose, I suppose you're getting a reward for all your hard work. And to get voted right across the board, I've got the sports writers, I've got the the, the managers, all that stuff right across the board. It was great. But going back to that, I, I also done it, and that's why I can talk about it as well. I think I got it. I think I got the manager of the year 2004 as well. So it just shows you the longevity the success that I've had as well. I got it way back there as well. And um it was great. It was but it was the players. It was absolutely the players were different class. I just couldn't get it. It was great. It was, so don't take too much credit for it. I don't think you can say that. You're the, you're the, it was your decision that put James Vincent on at that final. So you've got to well, take some credit enough, for it. Well, funny enough, Chris, do you want to know something? Vinny's one of the guys that I keep in touch with. We always keep in touch because he was one of my favourites up in Vanessa. Now, our managers know me to say that. And the reason I say that, so James Vincent done something when I first went in and I just went, you do for me. Terry Butcher left and went to Hibs and try to take James Vincent with him. Now, James Vincent was down, had a look at Edinburgh, look at the stadium, look at the training facilities, and decided to stay at Inverness. And I think that loyalty at what he did has to be rewarded. Now, we picked up a lot of injuries that I was there. And it was touch and go, you know, uh, if, if I was going to play him in the final. But for him to do what he'd done in the final, because we put him on and we were going to put him on as a second striker because we felt one of the strikers when they're getting back in the midfield. And then Tremarco, we had to change it. He ended up at right back. Him and Marley Watkins are real bestie mates. Marley Watkins are, are a freaky nature and he's a guy that you just let him go. You don't want to coach Marley too much. He's a free spirit. He's a runner. You don't want to coach him. And just let him go. Get the ball to him. Uh, what I'm trying to say is Marley, you know, he's one of these kind of guys. And James Vincent, go, for, so for Marley to go on that run and have the shot, and James Vincent to get the right back and get the rebound and put it in, only James Vincent knows what Marley was thinking. That's what I basically what I'm trying to say. It couldn't have happened any other way. It couldn't have happened. And that's what I'm saying. So for that loyalty, loyalty that he showed, and then for him to score the winner, He's a hero. He's a hero up there. He's a hero. Somebody would say, I don't know, was it five years? Was it the day or yesterday? Five years when we won the Scottish Cup? Five years, yeah. I think it was yesterday or the day. I'm not too sure. I forget the date, honestly. But uh, it was great. It was absolutely great. But we've not talked about the semi-final. The semi-final, Celtic in the semi-final. 
We're straight up, is it? Hey, that was the one that put us here. That was, that was it. But every time you're going to win a cup, what they turn around and say is you're going to have to beat one half of the old firm. Uh, so that was really sort of, that was it. We got very lucky because Meekin's handball was setting us a, a, a penalty and I sent him off. That swung the game. Uh, but if you look at it, for the first 20 minutes of the game, 25 minutes, we were everybody as good as Celtic. And Van Dyke hit that free kick. Uh, unstoppable. And then one nil at half time. And then the whole game changed, really. Uh, we, we got lucky with the Meekins, then the whole game changed on Craig Gordon getting sent off. But it was a tactic that we used, corners against, we always use leave three players up the park. It's a game of bluff. Do you mark it with an extra player back or do you go and that corner come in and we headed it clear and eventually we got to Marley Watkins. But all that grass in front of him, you're not going to catch him. He's, he's rapid quick and he's just went and he actually overrun it which made Craig Gordon come out, took the extra touch. Craig Gordon pulled it down, penalty, Craig Gordon off and then they made the substitution and they took Forrest off and Forrest was, I felt Forrest was at it that game and the two come off. So the whole momentum swing in another favour. You don't want to be playing uh, Inverness team when you're down to 10 men, even if and we were fully aware it was Celtic and anything, they're capable of doing anything. But the way we pass the ball, and then Tanji, you know, they're all into Tanji because they're changing the goalkeeper in his ear. Tanji just went up, cool, can't collect the ball, 1-0. And that was it. And then, as I say, all credit to Celtic. You know, they dig in there. But it was a goal that won it in injury time. Everything that we coach, it's another one of the aspects, everything we coach, it's like the two full-backs go at the same time. The wingers get out of the way and come in and play in midfield and the two midfielders sort of sit back and do the holding role. And uh, to see one fullback gone there, getting in there, which was shinny up the left, playing a wee one-two, getting in and cutting it across the goal, and see your other fullback coming in on the far post to put it in, all the work you do on the training pitch come to fruition. It wins us, it wins us the game, and takes us into uh, takes us into the final. And to be fair, to, uh, Ronnie and John after the game, you know they say that yeah, Inverness they acknowledge a lot of managers don't acknowledge. Don't want to give credit to the team. They too acknowledged how good a football team they were. And it was easy, Chris, I have to say that, because going in against Celtic, we were the underdogs. So you've got nothing to lose. And I can remember, I, I sort of remember trying to do your, your preparation for the game. I went to see them against Celtic, against Kilmarnock. I had my book out. After 20 minutes, half an hour, I just put the book in. And my mate says to me, what are you, what are you doing? I said, no, I, I said, I know what I've got to do. Uh, you just you just get that moment where you go, mm, you, you know that utopia moment. I come back in and I see the boys, the coaches says, how did it go? I said, no, I've got to play. He says, how is it? I said, I've got to press them high. The goalkeeper has to, I'm not going to let them play. And they, they're talking about reverse psychology. We had a big centre forward called Edward Afira. Big strapping boy. And I pulled him into the office and I says, listen, Edward, I said, did you see, I still think that was the best defence Celtic's had for a number of years, Van Dyke and uh, Denier. Two of them complimented each other, they were brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And if you see what Denier's playing now, it just shows you the quality of player he was. Uh, 
and I says to my good, well, do you see what that denier you're saying to you in the paper about you? He's had a go at you saying that you're easy, you've got this, you'll know that. Big Edward is a man of few words. And I'm kidding on, I'm looking for a newspaper. There's nothing at all in a newspaper. Big Edward just looked at me and says, we will see come match day. Walked out. <laughs> I looked at the staff. I looked at the staff, I went. And then I says, I says, I've got Marley Watkins. And I says, I've got Marley. I says, Marley, listen, forget everything else on the game. You can win us the game. I says, you need to get inside the shop, say, uh, Van Dyke can he play you need to knock him you need to give him a bloody nose knock him on his backside no once no twice be a nuisance that was Marley Marley could handle Marley Marley was 6 feet 2 fittest at the club strong and rapid quick I think he, I think he went from Inverness to I think he's at Bristol City and I think he went to Norwich so and he says what I says for the front I says and the two wingers press the full backs so the goalie had to kick it. It was up to Lee Griffiths. Uh, was it Johansson or Cadetti come on a sub? I knew my centre-halves were heading the ball. So it was all about a second ball. It was all about a second ball. And what happened is, as soon as the goalie couldn't play out and went to kick it, one of the strikers had to drop back into midfield and the two wingers had to sprint back in here. So it was like a small pitch within a pitch, knowing that that's where the ball was going to fall and we were on the seconds. Because their two centre-halves are still back there, the full-backs, we were on the second ball and it worked a treat for us. Absolutely worked a treat. And obviously, as I say, got lucky, I'm honest enough to admit that uh, and going in the final. But the whole final changed because we were massive underdogs against Celtic. Now we're in the final. Your favourites? No, against my old club, Falkirk. We're favourites. And we were a better team in the first half. Uh, Falkirk were a better team in the second half. And Falkirk probably lost it. We're going, with, going for it. Us doing the 10 men and they're going for it. And we just sucked them in. But honestly, on my, on my kid's life, I have to say this. We actually were talking about practising with 10 men just in case and all that stuff. That's where we are in my nest at the time. I used to say to the players, listen, see if you're a coach and you're, you're getting beat 2-0, you're coming in and you're going through your tactics, you're having a go and you're going through the tactics, right? This is what they're doing, this is what we need to do. So what happens if you're winning 2 now and you're coming in? That's what the other coach is doing. He's trying to put his team right so they have a better second half against your formation. What happens if you're winning 2 now and you go in the second half and you've changed your formation? Your coach is standing scratching. He's saying, what are they doing now? Coaches won't do it because in case it goes pear-shaped, that's how far down the road we were at uh, Inverness to say, mm-hmm. that's what I want to start doing, boys. I want to change the formation at half-time. So, they're, uh, it's even when we're winning, and then practice with 10 men, all that stuff. So, and it's great. Anyway, I'm rambling on here. I see you start, that's what football does to you. It brings a passion to you. It brings a, it brings <laughs> exactly. That's why we're here. <laughs> exactly. It's been brilliant. See, before we move on to the first half, I just want to ask quite a little bit about Graeme Sinney. Um, because that season, I think he announced in, I think it was in December or January, it was announced he was coming to Aberdeen at the end of the season. Now, a lot of players in that position could have easily done to us that I'm going to Aberdeen at the end of the season. He could not have been more professional and helped us, us say, step the winning goal and captain you in the cup well, final. See, since, see, since that come out, when that come out, from then to the end of the season, Shinny was our best, well, was best player anyway, but he was even more the best player. Because if you think like, I think he had that mental attitude to say, 
I'm not going to let you dump. Don't use any use pointing the finger at me. I'm going to, I've dumped tools. I'm at it. I'm at it. I'm at it. And it was like that. And I, I think I put a statement to the fans, saying to the fans, for what this guy's done for the club, uh, he deserves it. And he's an Aberdeen boy. Mm-hmm. You know, he was an Aberdeen boy, so and he deserves it. He was brilliant. Shin. I keep in touch with the board, Shin Bone. Keep in touch with him. Still getting him stick. Uh, all that stuff. Um, he picked up a bad hamstring injury earlier. Injury, but he's back. Great to see him, you know, getting in, in that Scotland setup. Same with Christie on Easter. And all these young boys, I mentioned Darfield earlier on. Keep in touch with all these guys. You just, you feel a little bit of pride when you, you played a small part in, the, in their career, you know. And uh, it's these guys that are pretty hard working. But brilliant. But Shin is a winner. Shin is a, is a diamond, diamond boy. Uh, and, and Derek McInnes will say that as well. I think Aberdeen missed him. Yeah. Uh, took them away. It's took them away. It filled that void, you know, just to get that balance and that void and that energy and that everything it brings to you and that will be win. Um, but um, absolutely delighted. And once again, having the opportunity to work with these players, it, as I say, right on the program at the start, it helps when you're working with good players. And I'm not just talking about good players technically. I'm talking about good players that you tell them once, you give them information and they implement it. They go, right, I'm going to, I know what you're after. Or you show them on the coaching pitch and they're capable of going and implement it. They don't go in on a football pitch and let their emotions take over. They're cool, calm, collected and they implement what you're, that's a sign of a right good footballer and shinny centre, I've got that. Yeah, definitely. Well, we've obviously been going on for two hours and it's been fantastic. So we'll just round off with a couple of quick fires. So I'll ask, um, who's the toughest opponent you've ever played against? Two of them in terms of physical Mark Haley. Um, but when I hang about him, dished it out, took it back, you know, took it back, just picked, you know, picked his hand up, picked me up, or took it. Uh, and the best striker I played against was a boy called Patrice Loco. We mm. loved it, Celtic, we played PSG in, uh, in Europe. Uh, and it wasn't it was a, it was rapid quick so once you got a run on you you know that great striker movement never played in front of you constantly on your shoulder going in there peeling on the peel on the peel go to the never played in always on your shoulder could come short spin you and you were like that and it was quite eerie because every time you looked up look at the ball look at him he would play off your look if you know what I mean. So he would be staring at you and as soon as he seen you looking at him and looking at the ball, he would move. So the next time you look back at him, he'd be another five yards away from you. So he was like looking at you, looking at the ball, looking at you, playing off your, your look. Because mm-hmm. you, you would never... I played against strikers that stood right in front of you and going, oh, this is played the butter, this guy. And I just went, wow. This is just a different, different league. So that was that guy. Right, completely different spinning this then. Uh, we're all in lockdown at the moment, or we've just been freed from lockdown actually, thanks to the Nicholas uh, Stubbs and stuff. Um, what is the best show you've been watching? Because we've all been watching box sets and Netflix and stuff. What have you, what have you oh, watching? I'm watching, a, I'm watching a lot of Netflix, I'm watching a lot of uh, Putin and all the stuff on Netflix about Putin and all the all he's done and diving and what he's got up to and how he runs that country. And then See, when I get into someone, Chris, I go obsessive. 
Nee, maar maar wees koos, wat jy in en hel, ek vind sy cyclins, ek sê sy, van, van pomp en eiring, het obsessief, en ek kon nie puten vir a while there, everything I could watch, and all that, and all the money, and the way you run the country, and the people are wet missing, and people has went to jail, and all that, so that's what I've been into. We have to I watch the World War II. Well, I have to watch the World War II in colour, so uh, <laughs> I'm not far away from you. I get that. I'll tell you another thing. I get that on the radio and all that. I'll hear a lot of stuff for the BBC. And I can remember a couple of boys got come in and give you a bit of banter, uh, all that stuff. And uh, Because I like a bit of laughing. I'm like, oh, when's the last time? And all that. You'll get rid of all that stuff. I just start laughing because when I see that, my expertise, I was, see when I was at school, I was wanting to be a footballer. I was wanting, wasn't wanting nothing in education or anything like that. But my expertise is football. So, and I think I'm, I've reached the top in terms of PhD, in terms of what you've done in football, playing, playing for the top, winning the old firm and getting there and now managing winning the Scottish Cup. You sort of say to yourself, you know, if you're going into anything, if somebody wants to be a doctor or surgery, uh, a surgeon, you go and do it, you want to reach the top. My, 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 as I say, my speciality is uh, football. That's, that's my passion, my speciality. So it's great to get to do that and get success. And anything else is oblivious to me. Anything else, it's, when it's football, it's that, it's that, it's that. That's it. You've got the blinkers on, you've got the blinkers on. You know, politics, all that stuff. Again, couldn't tell you what's going on. Couldn't tell you it's a football, the football. So it's nice being rooted. Now you're starting to pick up all the other stuff. You know, you're listening to Nicola Sturgeon, what's going on. You're saying, all oh, right, right. And Putin and all the other stuff, and you're starting to take an interest in all that stuff. Uh, it's good. You getting more for Rasty, obvious, Chris? Yeah. I'm just looking at the list, the the, the usual questions you've asked. Uh, you this has been the easiest time. interview ever because you've done most of it yourself. So, John, um, your best um, best eleven from your playing days. You knew this was coming, obviously. Right, I played with some wonderful goalkeepers. Um, for Tony Parts, remember Tony Parts? Spurs? Yes, sir. Tony. Biggie yeah. in Westwater, um, Big Westy, Paki Bonner, um, Jim Layton. Played with some great goalkeepers. I've got to go with Gordon Marshall for two reasons. It was a, well, three reasons. It was a really good goalkeeper, Big Marsh. The pass back grew come in. What year would it come in? He could handle it. He had a wee, he had that right foot, it was like a wee seven iron on it, where he could just fizz it out there. He could handle it, he was good with a pass back. And the third reason was a good mate of mine, a right good mate of mine. So Big Marsh would be in goals. I went right back, I went with Jackie McNamara, Mr. Consistent, 7, 8, 10, every week, and I'm delighted he's getting back to health. Uh, Right, another good mate of mine, Jackie. Come a week after me, he sent it. Just took to it like a duck to water. Right in there, just fitted right in there with all the young ones, Simon Donnelly, Brian McLaughlin, all these guys. So Jackie, Mr. Consistent, had a great career. Uh, he's my right back. My left back, it was a toss-up. And I've actually went with Tom Boyd. But Tom Boyd was my centre-half partner when I was at Celtic, but he's a, he could play left-back, he played left-back for Scotland, Motherwell and all that stuff. Non-stop, up and doing, great professional uh, Boydie. 
uh, and a great help, you know, in terms of the way he spoke to you. And I right, well done. And I had a great understanding. You know, I went and headed that he's he swept up at the back and all that stuff. But I'm a player left back. I had to get this guy in the in, in the team, um, Frank Sozzi. Although he sort of played all his football in midfield, you know, I've seen him playing centre half, that sweeper role and all that. He probably come he had when he was probably past his his best, but it was still brilliant. If, if you know, it was his best was probably Marseille when he's winning the European Cup. Gentleman, absolute gentleman, but what a footballer! Real, real, and loved it and embraced everything that we done at Habs. So the the king, the Kaiser, he would be in there. My next one, left centre half. This was a hard one because the big boy Joe McLaughlin, a company folk, I learned so, so much of the Joe. And a fantastic, fantastic professional. Played with Chris Coleman, big cookie, doing at Swansea, big cookie, but it was more a left back before he turned into a left centre half. I've got to go with Davy Weir as my left centre half. Big Davy Weir coming to Falkirk. And the day he walked in, the first week he walked in, I said to the gaffer, he'll play for Scotland. He'll play for Scotland. Uh, and he's one of these guys in football, you know, you come and walk up, friends in football and acquaintances. Davy's one of these guys in football that is, is above that. He's a gentleman. And anything he gets in football or in life, he deserves. So that would be my back four. McNamara, Sozie, David Weir and Tom Boy going in mid midfield. There's only two I could pick in midfield. Um, Ray Wilkins was going to be in there. I played with Butch at Hibs, another gentleman, you know, a brilliant footballer, but he was 35 at the time. Mm-hmm. My midfielder, my first one is Paul McStay. Paul McStay. When I went to Celtic, he was injured. He had an ankle problem, so he was always trying to get back to fit, back fitness, back fitness. And the first time he really come onto that training pitch, uh, wow, you just went, ah, what a footballer. He was my dad's favourite as well. And the heart, that was his nickname, the heart. What a footballer. He was like, he wasn't a box-to-box. He was like the sit-and-holding midfielder. It was, uh, you could give him a ball, trust him. He couldn't get off him. Feet was magnificent. And he, he, he controlled the game. You know, he was like, the, he controlled the orchestra for a way back here. The next one, next to him, for a number of reasons, because it, but first and foremost, because a wonderful footballer, John Collins. John Collins was a wee bit different for Paul McStay in terms of he was more box-to-box, wanted to get in there, score goals, could come back, could do the sitting midfield role. Ultimate, ultimate, even to this day, is my cycling partner and all. And he wants to, when we go cycling, he wants to go up all the hills because he's like a wee jockey on the horse. And it's competitive for <laughs> everything he does. Unbelievable, unbelievable competitor. And, um, so he would be the left midfielder, maybe getting forward a little bit more. And if you ever YouTube, YouTube the goals he scored, magnificent, unbelievable. I never tell him that. I always give him pelters, tell him it was murder. <laughs> and uh, that would be my two midfielders. Well, never him. It was always the boots. The predator boots. That's what scored all the goals. Oh, I know. It was the predator boots. <laughs> That's what he says to me. I had the predator beat. You had the predator headband. <laughs> and then I spotted the choice because I played with some wonderful footballers in terms of strikers and all that stuff, especially Celtic Van Hoydonk and 
Debt, Andres Tom, uh, De Canio and all that. And I've sort of looked at it and I've went, right, De Canio, um, you've gone in and I'll probably play you, take your choice. You can play right or left wing because the boy was a genius. He's a great lad as well. And that's what I have to say. Everybody thinks, that's what I've found out about football. See the higher I went up, all these guys, all these guys like the Canon or these are the guys that are the most level-headed, no ego, train hard, would do anything for you. See the lower doing that you get. All these guys hanging their what their, their best and saying, Whoa, I with a Louis Vuitton toilet bag and all that stuff. That's what I find. It's the boys up there, what all they want to be is I want to be. The boys are up there, they just go on with it and do it. And Decano had that. It was as mad as a brush, but in a great team spirit way. So Decano would be my, my right winger. Uh, my left winger would be Kevin McAllister, Lee Crunchy mm-hmm. at Falkirk. He was a genius, absolute genius. You could just give him the ball. And if, it was like Jimmy Johnston. Like, and I'll say against Jimmy Johnston, but we wanted a rest, just give it to Jinky. If you wanted a rest, just give the ball to Crunchy. And he was his one thing about him. For someone what he was about five feet six, he was as tough and brave as I've ever seen. He was brave. And he loved the banter and all that stuff. Always at the wind up, we crunchy. Um, so he would have went in as well. And so I'd have to leave Cadetti in uh, because my number 10 behind the main striker is Latapi. The best mm-hmm. the best I've played with. He was a genius. He was an absolute genius. And I'm looking at it and I'm saying to myself, Collins getting forward, Boyd getting forward, McNamara getting forward, supporting Decanio, Crunchy, uh, Latapi. And Morris Johnston would be my centre forward, right up there, right at the sharp end, scoring the goals, crosses coming in, headers, left foot, right foot, all that stuff. Uh, on my bench, you know, I have to apologise to the rest of them. I'm looking at guys like Big Mitsu, Pat Alainen, Van Hoydonk, Andres, Tom, Chick Chanley, uh, Big Joe McLaughlin. I have to apologise if I can only pick 11, um, and that would be my starting 11. You've got a few game changers there. <laughs> yeah. I, as I say, that's my style. Chris, John, that's my style of play. I like attacking football. I think, I think we're in the entertainment game. I, I see a lot of football now. That a lot of team, the, 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 the trains, you know, you sit in, you let the other team hit the ball and you sit in and you go and counter-attack. No, I'm a Pep Guardiola. You get the ball and you make it happen and you entertain. So when you're recruiting players, you're bringing players to the team, your team, that can do that. And if you get it right, I think you get supporters on the edge of the seat. That's what I want, and I'm wanting to go and see. You know, I'm, I'm working with guys like Latapi and Samama and that. I'm the coach and the manager. They excite me, Ryan Christie's. That's the kind of player I like. So if I could get them on, get them on your team, get them in. And um, it'd be great. I think they would stay road, just come up short. You know, another one just come up short. Wouldn't leave, wouldn't put him on the bench, wouldn't even give him a seat on the bench because he would be constantly in your ear. Get me on, get me on, get me on. What, what's he doing? I'm better than him, I'm better than him. So he would have to sit in the stand. But um, that was it. So hopefully that would be, be a good start in 11. And it's been a pleasure playing with him. But most of all, I have to say this getting to know them, still friends now. Every one of them, it's been a pleasure being in that company and that, you know, that kind of quality player. 
It's a tremendous team. Uh, are you managing it yourself or have you got another manager in mind? No, I would manage that. I would manage that. I would, <laughs> well, I would coach. Match day, my team talk would score like this. Match day, as it did when I worked with Latape. Used to be like that, right, come on boys, this, right, this is what we're doing. This is that. We'll wait straight on the training pitch. Just go straight again on the tactics board. Go, nah, nah, nah. Russell, you, Russell. Where's Russell? Or the boys. Russell, where's Russell? He's in the toilet having a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Russell, when you get that fuck up, faggot, come here and listen to this. <laughs> Gaffer, I know what I'm doing, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Russell, put that faggot. <laughs> what a character, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. I seen him once in training, somebody pinged a bottle of him in training, and I seen him just doing that and catching it on his chest. And it's like the ball stuck, you know, like it was a magnet. And he just done that, it was stuck on his chest and he just done that. Put his head under it and rolled it onto the back of his head. Let it roll down the back of his head and back heeled it to a player. And I'm like, yeah, I'm I know you can, I know the, I see not a back heel, I see you mate. No, 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 I knew I was doing that. Away you go, I see, he says, I'm telling you, he says, I knew I was doing that. And I used to tell John Collins about this, this is a true story, I used to tell him, how good it is. And John's the same as me, nah, no, he needed to get more of his career, he needed to get more of his career, his application and all that stuff, it wasn't, it wasn't enough. John Collins then went over the, I think, I'm not too sure if it was the League Managers Association, but they play that six aside and it's over in the Bahamas and they all go for the jolly up. John Collins got invited up with Everton to go over and play in the Everton six aside. So I've been telling Collins this for years. So he's playing for Everton. Latapi's playing for Trinidad and Tobago. <laughs> and they come up and after uh, Latapi's getting on the run around and I says to Collins, after they come back next to game mate, I'll come back, we're on the golf course. I says, did you, he says, he says, now I know what you're talking about. He says, I try to go and close, I'm doing. He says, I try to go and close, I'm down. He just gave us the shoulders. He says, he never even moved the ball, just took the shoulder. He says, and I was away. He says, what a footballer that guy is. You know, Yorkie's done his best to live in. Mm-hmm. I know that's his mate. Yorkie's done his best to live in. And Yorkie says, Latape is better in schools. There you are. Latapi was better in school. I'll tell you another thing about him, the kind of guy what I say to you about humble. I had left Hibs. I was still at Air United, but me and my brother went into the pub business and we bought a pub and we were running a pub and it was important I was in the pub. And I got in contact with Russell. I said, Russell, listen. I said, I'm opening the pub. That's it been open for a couple of weeks. Any chance you make an appearance and pop in? I said, it's because a lot of Hibs supporters are coming in. He goes, no problem. I'll come down on Saturday. I'm in there, I'm finished the football, I'm in there pouring pints, number four, nothing of it. Next again, minute, the door's open. In walks Latape, Brian Lara, the lefty cricketer, mm-hmm. and five or six, six feet four, West Indies fast bowlers. You know the big lumps? Mm-hmm. The, West Indies, the West Indies were in Edinburgh playing, uh, I think it was Scotland cricket. Latapi's in Edinburgh, Latapi and Lara, bestie mates, bestie mates, him Larry, him Yorkie and Lara, bestie mates. He's went like, ah, come on, come to my mate's boozer. He stayed there for two and a half, two and a half, three hours. Brian Lara, the legend cricketer. That's the kind of guy in Russell says, took it over and says, Yogi, is that, 
says Russell, fantastic. All the Hibs fans and all the punters saying that. See when they first walked in, all my regulars are like, ah, what in the hell's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> big fast bowlers, and six feet four, bowling like that. So, but that's the kind of guy he is. I can't speak highly enough of him. Uh, he's an absolute genuine boy. Was that the biggest profit your pro, um, pub made that night? It probably was. I we used to have something like that's a, I would advise anybody if they're ever coming into football and trying to get into a pub game, go, don't do it. It's a hard game. Oh, it was a hard game. It was a. Um, and it was me and my brother, and the whole thing is, you know, your your lot of your customers come in expecting you to be there, and you have to be there. I enjoyed it. I, I was pouring the pints behind the bar, having all the banter and all that stuff. But it was taking its toll because I was still playing at Air United. It was taking its toll when I was in there finishing the football in there Saturday night, Sunday night. Um, I've just stopped here because that's one of the twins. I've just come in. <laughs> <laughs> you might have been at nine. You might have been at nine o'clock and in your bed. <laughs> Come and say hello. Come and say hello. <laughs> no, she's away. Hey, Ken Eaty sort of talked to us. Eh? Ken Eaty sort of talked to us. Oh, I know. But that was it. So. As I say, even now, it's about time I get back into the football. I've been at it too long. I'm really, especially this season, I've enjoyed it. I've lived the life. I've been on that golf course, cycling, holidays, family, doing what I want to do. I need to get back. I think I've got a bit to give. Uh, and the CV says that, so hopefully someone will come my way. I've always wanted to go and try and work abroad. I have been trying to get to America. Uh, someone like that, you know, no 100%, but just putting the feelers out, try to get over there. I'd love to go and coach. I love coaching. I love on the coaching pitch, coming up with ideas, preparing games. This is what they do. This is how we're going to beat them. Educating games and football. Well, listen, you guys have only asked about four questions. I've been going rambling all night. <laughs> but that's what it does to me. Even my wife said before I come on, oh, no, you don't let the other guys speak. Football, <laughs> When it comes to football, it's just the passion just pours out of you. Listen, our podcasts are about the guests more than uh, me, Chris, and um, anyone else who hosts it, so it's um it's not an issue for us. And uh, right, well, you can you know, I certainly hope I certainly hope you you're back in the game soon. I certainly hope you're back in the game soon, but in the meantime, should I pass on any coaching tips I can um, coach my son in my back garden, that'd be wonderful. I do that as well. I'm, uh, I'm, uh, me and John Collins are uh, ambassadors for uh, a coaching, two young kids coaching school here in uh, Edinburgh called Golden Grey. And they asked us if we would come along and watch our coaching. It's an academy, they've set a private academy. We went along and watched our coaching. They were magnificent. They were magnificent in terms of what they gave the kids because it's all ball. Touches, 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 touches of the ball. And what they'll say is when a kid comes to coach, when the kid comes to their coaching, is he'll touch a ball somewhere. Like, I don't know, they've got a number of many touches. And that's what it's all about left foot, right foot, turns, twists, drag backs, everything that you, a kid should be doing. No too much coaching. Everything they don't coach, it's just ball, 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 ball. As soon as we've seen it, we're like, ah, well, that, that's a bit of that. So, if I was getting any father or any coaches out there coaching a young team, just don't put them into positions. Just coach them 
how to manipulate the ball, all the tricks, all the drag backs, all the step overs, all the traps, you know, double left foot, right foot, get them to master the ball. It's called ball mastery. Once you do that, then they're often they're often often running. Then they'll go into the football and get get the coach and get position, put in the position, but they can master that ball. And it's off the wall, sometimes off the wall, left foot, right foot, turns, twist. Oh, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. That's that would be my advice. I need to master that myself first before I can teach my son. I like what John was saying. Um, I, I hope you're back in the game pretty soon. I'm going to be selfish to say I'm back in the Scottish game because, as you say, you're, you're into the, the entertaining attacking football, which is definitely what people pay to see. So I, I definitely yes, hope you're back in that as soon as possible. Much. much appreciated. Much appreciated. Well, thanks very much for your time, John. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. And yeah, I'll repeat what I said. Hope you're back in the game soon and just keep yourself safe. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. I'm sorry for rambling too much once again. No, at all. But that's no, why, that's why I'm, sometimes I'm reluctant to do this because once I start talking football, I'm non-stop. I'm like a machine gun. So to anybody that's listening, I do apologise, but that's what football does to me. Okay. <laughs> Everybody that's listening is probably like me and has been absolutely delighted to listen to you. Yes. Oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> I wish you all the best, guys. All right? Yeah, thanks very much, John. Take care of yourself. Cheers, John. Cheers, lads. Cheers. Bye-bye. <laughs>